Hello. Oh, hello. Hi. Oh my God. How that was crazy. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the Six of Swords episode five. This episode we have joining us Ivy Bromius, or as many Rune Supers will know her as Ivy. Ivy runs CircleThrice.com, a website dedicated to practical magic meeting project management. Ivy's a professional management project management professional? Huh. <laughs> a witch and a tarot reader. And you can find her over at Circle Thrice. This was a really great discussion. I feel very comfortable talking with Ivy. And somewhere down the line, we're going to get into some really personal stuff for me. And I just want to thank Ivy for being a big part of my moving forward in life to quote some lyrics from an old 90s to 2000 band would you put the past away and i want to thank ivy for being a big part of my putting the past away and helping me to grow in the light direction to borrow a phrase from a good friend and mentor of mine so i hope you enjoy our discussion we're going to be talking a lot about project management and practical magic and tarot and all sorts of good stuff. I think you're going to really enjoy this fifth episode of the Six of Swords. I want to thank you for listening in and remind you that this is also the place where those who, according to the value for value model, which I stringently adhere to, will have between $200 and above get their names, location, and any messages read. And of course, they will be listed as executive producers and associate executive producers. But without much more further ado, as we do do, ado, we will head right now into this episode with Ivy, where we are going to have a very deep and meaningful discussion and I'll say this, I'm glad that I followed her advice. And you'll find out later on what she was talking about. But uh, until next midtro and then the outro, <laughs> I hope you enjoy the show. Show. Yo. Well, Ivy, thank you for joining us today on the what is now quite likely the fifth episode of the Six of Swords. I have a quick introduction that I'm going to read right now so people can get acclimated to the uh the let's say the uh, the sea of ivy so this is dipping our toe in to start with and what we have here is ivy is a magician and witch with a unique skill set she's been practicing magic since childhood and reading tarot since her teens in addition she's a skilled project manager with a successful career and over a decade experience in the corporate world she uses her professional skills to not only make her magic better but to help her clients build their best lives through a combination of planning and enchantment. She's also the author of the Agile Magic Manifesto, a new way of thinking about practical enchantment that leverages an agile mindset to succeed in an increasingly chaotic world. Her regular Next Week in Magic blogs series highlights auspicious days 
for enchantment for each upcoming week, and her recently released Lunation Rite combines ancient Egyptian and Greek practical magic with the Orphic hymns and lunar days into a 29-day ritual of personal transformation. She's currently working on researching magical habit formation and has an ongoing interest in using magic and tarot for risk mitigation. Ivy, welcome to the Six of Swords. Hi, nothing is as awkward as listening to a bio of yourself. Oh, I'm sure we could think of a few things. <laughs> so um, we just drew, uh, we've been having a really lovely intro lead up conversation so far, and we just drew uh, the sun card, uh, which kind of bodes really well for the conversation. And uh, if you want to, I know the listeners can't see that, but um, if you take a look, you can maybe just describe how pretty it hopefully can kind of look through the camera there oh that's amazing what deck is that right and no um i'll let you know right after i say do you see the um that's the ohm symbol in the middle of the crown of the sun there yeah yep. this, this is the masonic tarot deck it has a special focus not just on blue degree masonry the one two three but also a lot of scottish right influence the maker of this is obviously a 32 degree mason uh in fact that um that is a 32 which also makes the ohm symbol so all sorts of weird synchronicities or higher level things going on but yeah if you can get your hands on it grab a copy because it's a really magical deck how cool yeah i have several decks but i'm not as much of i'm not as much of a collector as some people but i have several <laughs> It's so easy to do because like once you get first you're like tarot's not real or you know for me it was like that stuff's bs and then you get a tarot deck and you're like okay this is kind of cool and then like a year later you have 23 decks Suddenly you have all of them. Well, I have this I have this um I have this idea that I shouldn't have a deck I don't use, mm -hmm. right? So that means that I can only I can only have so many, not because I don't want to buy all of them, but because if I don't use them, I feel bad for them. Like I'm, I, I'm, I very much personify them. I know. So for a long time, I was, um, I was kind of a, a, you know, a deck monotheist or something where I'd have a deck and I'd use that deck for years and because I've been reading for a really long time and then I would sort of retire it and then I get another deck. So for a long time, I never had more than one deck. What was your, um, because you're actually a, a multi-generational um, tarot reader. Your grandmother was first, and now you have continued that legacy. Well, yeah, except I sort of continued it. Um, I w it's not a direct lineage. It's interesting because she read, so it turns out she read Taro. She read Tarochi, like she read off of a Tarochi gaming deck with the Trumps. But I didn't know that until I, I was, you know, in my 30s. And I was sitting oh, with my man. mom, and I was talking with her about, these cards like what they are and stuff and she's like oh your grandmother did that yeah, yeah she read for me and she said this and that and i'm like seriously you're just this is just you're telling me this now and she passed away when my mother was only 18 so oh, i wow. never met her yeah but i have this so but but i have have had always this really strong pull to the cards like you said i used to think it was bs i never had that when i was i don't know probably 12 or 13 I ran across in the library, like the pictorial keys to the tarot. It's like, you know, like this very, very, it's the world's most annoying tarot book because it has pictures of the, the, 
Waitsmith deck. Yeah. But then it's all about, there are hidden secrets, which I cannot tell you. So it's all this very kind of pompous posturing sort of thing. But yeah. I remember reading that and really wanting that. But at the time, you couldn't just go to the store and buy a tarot deck because there was, that wasn't a thing. So I had no way right. of acquiring one. So for a long time I would read and I like, I was, I, I had the enthusiasm of, of youth basically. And I would read for all my friends with no thought to whether I was good at it or could do it or was qualified to do it. But I would read with a regular playing card deck. Yeah. So but sometimes the, minor, the best stuff comes out from that. Yeah. And I would read with just the minors and the Trump cards and well, in the court cards, because there's obviously no Trumps. And then I would keep the Joker in there as kind of the fool. And that's what I would read with. Yeah. And then eventually I found my way to an, a catalog, like a paper catalog where you could order esoteric stuff. When I was just a year or two later, I was 13 or 14 and I ordered my first deck. And so Do you of remember I, what catalog that was? Yeah. Hold on, it just skipped. Uh, we're getting a we're getting a skip in the transmission. Oops. Sorry about that. All right. Um, Is that better? Numbers. Yep, I can yeah. hear you. Um, what was yeah? What was the catalog and what was the deck? <sighs> I think so. How it came about is I had um, I had found my way to Circle Sanctuary, and they had like some sort of mail order catalog where you could buy stuff, right? And um, I wrote them a letter, like a snail mail letter, and like a fan letter. I was, you know, I was like 13 or something. Oh, oh I love this. is amazing. And the, so, so you were, you were me, an occult fan when you were a kid. Well, since I can, yeah, I've always been fascinated by all things kind of occult and paranormal. Like even when I was very little, it was always the books on ghosts and alien abductions and yeah. which, which stuff that I would pick from the library. And then I finally found my way to that catalog and then I got bought a deck and I Yeah, bought, which deck was it? Was it the Rider Waite Smith or the, uh, just the Smith Waite deck? Yeah, it was, a, it was the Rider Waite Smith, the really, the early one, the very yellow one, right? It's very yellow. <laughs> the yellow and, deck. Yeah, but and it was my first introduction, I think, to, so obviously it was my first yep. tarot deck. And it was my first introduction to really deep, I think, symbolic thinking. So can right? I, like, can I, can I uh, just to add a few synchronicities and then we'll keep going. Um, sure. a, a few things. Yeah, I too. My first deck uh, was the Alice in Wonderland deck, which is modeled off of that. And when I say I thought it was BS, there's a long convoluted story behind that. But even though I didn't believe it, I still had it done for me sometimes. So yeah, it's kind of like I don't think I was ready to admit to myself. But yeah, um, so to say you had your grandmother who was not a direct lineage to you, but in a way you continued that. Right, what I'm wearing right now, that's, a, that's my grandfather up there. I didn't mm. know he was – so this is a, known as a Lewis jewel. People can look this up online. It's fine. I'm just going to say it's a hereditary Masonic jewel. My grandfather was a Mason, and I've always felt kind of like a similar draw to it somehow, even if I didn't want to admit it at times. I didn't find out my grandfather was a Mason until I was in my 30s. So your tarot story and my Mason story have very similar archetypal skipping stones, if you will. Oh, that's fascinating. And it really makes you. Yeah, no, no. And it, it, it's fascinating because it makes me think how the things we think we like, the freedom of choice we think we have really comes yeah. out of this background of where we came from. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, they talk about like epigenetics and stuff like that. And that's strictly from like um, a materialistic basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, since we're talking to people who kind of know that, who, who get it, let's just put it this way. People, we're talking to an audience of people who get it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're formed. We're formed by a lot of like maybe what people, you know, uh, you could call it like um, your ancestral karma or something like that, and that manifests in several different ways, including um, maybe eating habits or interests. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think absolutely, and I also think it has to do with it's it's a more it's a more savory explanation for stuff um, for this concept that you know these talents, talent for magic, talent for witchcraft, talent for psychic powers, passed down in families, which can sound really unsavory because it's like you're saying, well, I have the super special blood. And if you don't have that, ooh, yuck, let's yeah, not like even the Italian go there. witchcraft kind of stuff. Like, um, uh, Gr- Gr- what's it? Um, he's a good guy. Um, Raven Gramassi. Gramassi yeah, yeah. He talks about how like you had to have a certain kind of like thorn blooded witch blood kind of thing or else you weren't going to be able to practice magic which and I, that's yeah. racist yo yeah it's racist yo and also it's um i mean it's not just it doesn't just smack of racism it also just smacks of an exclusivity e- that i think we're trying to get away from it's elitism right? it's elitism yeah anyway. it yeah. is at the same time we do know that the people who came before us and what they were interested in and did has an impact on us so we can acknowledge yeah. their gifts to us without making it all about some sort of you know super secret initiatory kind of like limiting yeah because the 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 way i view it is that um i i want everybody to to see the world as a magical and enchanted place and want to make it oh, yeah. more that way. Because if we all did that, probably things would be a little better than they are. We'd all bring, you know, bring the, bring the magic bring the wardrobe to the entire, entire planet, basically like flip that, right. flip that wardrobe inside out. And even if not everybody is going to be interested in, in practicing. And in fact, it would be yeah. weird if they were like, everybody's yeah. got different stuff. Right? Yeah, there's that like Terrence McKenna quote that like if more than a certain percentage of population gets into reality, he was talking about psychedelics, but yeah. the two are enjoined, like uh, conjoint. I mean, like a Venn diagram at least, uh, if not in more profound ways. Um, if like more than like point something percentage of the population gets into reality manipulation, then everything starts to go to crap. And just I'm gonna throw out the idea of maybe that's what people call the Mandela effect. I don't know. That's really interesting. Right? And I, I just, yeah, I just and thought I, of that right now. That's fascinating. That's fascinating because... Because you know that stuff happens to us. Like, I know it's yeah. the Berenstein... Okay, are you an EIN kind of person? The Berenstein Bears? Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And the, the, the version of Star Wars with the extra footage and... Yeah, Whoa, there's just no. a bunch of... I don't even know about that. <laughs> if you go online and you look at the Mandela effect, which if anybody listening doesn't know about this is the idea is that a huge chunk of the population will really, really remember something that just didn't happen. They'll remember a movie that didn't actually come out. I mean, They'll remember that Nelson it, Mandela it, was dead. He was dead. He was dead. I remember that. I, I remember that. Like, I literally know that. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, and when I don't. Say it didn't happen. Like, that's the, that's the language is like, it did happen to some people but there's not confirming physical evidence on the internet right now. And even in physical space, those books have an AIN. 
and it feels like oil and water to my memory. Yeah, no, it's it, so this is what the Mandela effect is, and it ha- and it happens. It's a real phenomenon where chunks yeah. of people will be like, "But I remember it. It was called this, or it had starred this person, or this person died, and yet they didn't." Yeah, so, yeah, like that. Uh, apparently, Ed McMahon. Uh, do you know this one, Ed McMahon and the big checks, the publisher clearinghouse? What about him? They said that he's. They said that Ed McMahon was never with Publishing Clearinghouse. What? Publishers Clearinghouse. Yeah, they said that Ed really? McMahon was never with them. Oh, see no, now that, that I remember that. So now here's here's but here's <laughs> we could talk about the, the Mandela effect like all day seriously because there's a huge yeah we're not gonna of course because that's you like, can go you yeah. can go down that rabbit hole online. But I think the weird thing about it is this idea that um, for most people reality should kind of make a coherent sense. Yeah, well, and, yeah, ostensibly. Yeah, and if it doesn't, it's troubling, and most people don't like that. When when I'm thinking about more people seeing the world as enchanted, I'd like us to have more, like more of a sense of the, that the world is an alive place, that things can be spiritual, that yep. that uh, there's more things than we see, that there are spirits that we can access. You may yep. not, not every single person may want to access them or work with them, yeah. but the idea that we have more acceptance. At the same time, though, you lead to something really fascinating, which is that there are huge numbers of people now who are interested, at least in a sort of an entertainment sense, uh, yeah, who yeah. are interested have, in the, cursing the paranormal. Stuff. Like that, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the occult's on the rise, for sure. Like the whole, yeah. like, the curse Trump and whatnot, you know? But, like, of course, if you, if you get deep into magic, like, the more people who do ineffectual curses like a higher level of magic can feed off of that and turn it into their own power. Right. Because the underlying layer of chaos is like deeper or something. Yeah. I, I, I'm not prepared to go into like a, um, a, a 401 class on like the metaphysics of how uh, magic works. Cause I, fr- I frankly do not think I am at that level yet, but yeah, there's something there like to that ability to flip that kind of current. And then like, if, if a whole bunch of inexperienced people are doing this, they're like, okay, but your Kung Fu is not as good as my Kung Fu, that kind of thing. I also just think that a lot of the interest in, I mean, the interest in spiritualism or the paranormal or ghosts or whatever comes in waves. And I think yep. the part of it is just that the, the world is feeling really kind of wobbly and uncertain right now because we're going through massive upheavals and changes. And so oh, yeah. when that happens, people are more open to you know, alternate explanations. Just, What's going mean, to give me a footholding in the shifting tides and sands? Yeah. It seems like, too, that, like, gener- like decades kind of go in patterns of threes. Like, you have, like, um, I think we're, like, in the 80s right now, it feels like, and we're about to go into a 60s again. It's, like, it seems like it goes, I don't know, this is just an idea that I've been popping around, like, the 50s, and then you had, like, radical 60s, then you had disenchanted 70s, or, like, whatever that was, and then the 80s were, like, the Thatcher-Reagan, and then it went into, like, the 90s, and um, the two, th- what, what am I trying to say? Did I already screw that up? I may, I may have just disproved my own point there. <laughs> I think my math, well, that was good. This is why, I'm, this is why, this is why we record these things and, and edit them. I'm going to leave that in there. Uh, but it seems like we're like going through some kind of 80s-ish thing right now with the Trump thing. But if my math is right, then we're about to enter the 80s, which I was hoping it was going to be the 60s. But anyways, there is definitely, despite my poor model there, um, there is absolutely an occult renaissance happening right now. 
Yeah, and I think also a renaissance, a cult, straight up a cult, but also kind of those those areas of um, sort of paranormal, which we say is sort of related to a cult or a cult adjacent, but not so much about magic and witches, but about aliens and cryptids and all of that is just huge right now again and it's not necessarily a bad thing uh, or and it's not a good thing it just is the thing that's happening i think though what it points to is just a general feeling that stuff is weird like stuff is not right and stuff is weird and my personal opinion like when people say politics has gotten really crazy i'm like no 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 politics has been you know totally crazy and corrupt and weird for a really long time now. It's just that prior, we had a lot of very polite people who were willing to kind of like have the facade that things were normal on top. And yeah, now we lost like that. The official narrative was like so strong that like, like the weirdos were like left to be like an X-Files like archetype or something. Whereas now like we're all so connected and there's like, despite the amount of like gatekeeping that's done through echo chambers and like targeted advertising and polarized media um the weird is kind of like subversive and over that like it's above that at the same time so like mm -hmm. whatever we're calling it like chaos the, it's it, it will not be the k the magic will not be contained by the bullying of the archetype uh, excuse me of the archon so much and by the way my right. math was, my math was correct i just realized um i just completely forgot that 2018 was not 2008 but 90 gotcha. 90s would have been the 60s, 2000 to 2010 would have been the 70s, and now we are in the 80s cycle. So my brain was not as messed up as I like to pretend sometimes. Well, I can tell you that that's interesting from a, um, uh, your theory that you're working on is interesting also from just a purely, uh, you know, kind of fashion and music sort of thing. I can tell you from having a teenager who knows more about this stuff than I do that we've just gone, we've been going through this 80s fashion is back, 80s music is back. A lot of kind of weird cultural things are back. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, but it seems like but, it's weird because we're having a huge, like, it seems like as the future progresses, like, it's even getting more mishmashed because I just heard about this band called Greta Van Fleet. Uh, and apparently they're like super Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin was late sixties, right? Mm -hmm. Well, seventies, well, I mean, right? Well, uh, when I say late sixties, I meant like purely inception and then propagation. Cause, um, their, okay. first, their first and second album was both in, um, gosh, I'm going to hate it if I get this wrong right now. Um, 1968, I think, uh, the first two and then 69 for the third. And I think Led Zeppelin four was released in 1970. Uh, in 71 was House of the Holy. I think I'm doing that right. Um, but whatever. But yeah, no, late 60s, and but mainly 70s, I would say. But the, the whole point is that there, it seems like it's an amalgamation right now rather than like a pure essence of a drive. But then again, like we're only talking about the biggest snapshots that our minds can pull out of the time. They had like doo-wop back then. They had this, that, the other thing. So it's also very culturally focused what we're doing as well, I think. Well, and and if we take if we kind of take a step back from it, um, we have uh, this concept of cyclical time that you know that, that there's these cycles that repeat and happen, and so there's the cycle of the rise and fall of empire, which you know we notice because we're in kind of the exciting bit at the end right now. But the would seem to be going on, yeah, we uh, would seem to be, and that that's been going on for you know, a really long time, probably since, you know, empire kind of got invented, right? So you, so 
these sorts of things repeat. And right now we're seeing a resurgence of, um, you know, a resurgence of occult stuff and paranormal stuff and also conspiracy in uh. kind of, and by conspiracy, I don't just mean uh, what the mainstream media would would prefer you not look at. I'm saying actual conspiracy, like the very kind of strange connections across strange boundaries. But I have this sort of I have this sort of idea that those things, all of those things, from you know alien encounters to uh, you know underground bases to uh, working magic, those things are are highly self-referential. Huh. And what I mean by that is that when you begin to, like baseline, if you begin to practice magic, you notice synchronicities around you about magic. And when you begin to say, uh, do you know, ghost hunt, let's say, if you're going to do that, you begin to, there's, there'll be these connections and weird synchronicities around ghosts. And it happens, it happens because, um, one, the universe is made of language, and it's just when you tap in just a little bit, you can understand a little bit of the language. So it starts to talk to you, but you're only getting one word in five, and the communication's not clear. Well, yeah, because you're with the with the magic and with magical thinking, you're starting to notice the um, the language of the matrix, so to speak. So it's almost as if like now that you're starting to speak the green language, it's like once you've heard a song, you might better able to hear it if it's playing in the background than if you had never heard that song before so it's kind of like like i'm listening to no agenda and they say oh green light and i'm at a i'm at a red light and the light literally turns green when they say green light and these kind of things are just too uncanny to believe in purely materialistic reality anymore at the most base fundamental level but like what you're saying is that like there's this um when, it sounds like when you talk about when you're practicing magic and you begin to see uh, the synchronicities, it is like that idea of where attention goes, energy flows. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that I think that one thing you end up with are people who aren't really in the habit of magical thinking, but because they're getting into conspiracies or say Bigfoot lore or whatever it is that they're doing, they start to have these weird synchronicities. And sometimes it can be easy to think this is all about me. Something weird is going on. What is this? But the problem is, is that we, but we come out of this very materialistic view background, which says, well, if something happens, it must mean something for me. And it's not quite that linear. It's much more of, there, like I said, everything is just made of this language and attempts to communicate. And yeah. when you don't speak the language very well, you don't, you're not getting clear commu communication. And so one of the interesting side effects of practicing magic sort of in an organized way is that uh, the communication becomes clearer to the point where you almost, it seems like you're getting fewer mystical synchronicities because they're just normal now and they're not mystical, if you see what I mean. So you're like, oh, of course. I understand. See, I... I understand. Um, for me, like, I would like it if I could just get to that level, but I still get like very, like, I just kind of found myself going, "Oh, come on!" You know, like, like I just, I just kind of like get stunned in the moment. Uh, I'd like to read this quickly, just to kind of like tie it in with what you're saying, and I think you recognize this book. I I have that book, of course. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, Gordon White uh, from Chaos Protocols. And this is answering what happens after you do the headless right. And he says, uh, what happens next? I'm just going to read this quick uh, paragraph. Uh, it says, good question. 
One thing I will say with every confidence is that your dreams will certainly get a lot more interesting. Beyond that, it will really depend on the conditions of reality around you. Expect the most unbelievably remote coincidences to begin manifesting. Also, expect that any attempt to explain how amazing these coincidences are will fall on deaf or unsympathetic ears. This is always the case with magic, as even when the preferred outcome manifests in the physical world, so much of its significance is inside your head. So I think what we're saying right now kind of sounds like a both like we agree and both like we have a slightly different, like we're saying something slightly different than that too. Which is, you know, like they say, uh, I think it was Bohm who said, sometimes the opposite truth, uh, the opposite of a great spiritual truth is another great spiritual truth. So it's kind of hard to uh, write about, um, you know, uh, Cohen's or uh, paradoxes in a book that's written for Llewellyn. But, you know, I think there, I think both can exist. Yeah, but I think he has, I think there's a really, there's a valid point that, when you try to explain the weirdness, it yep. often does, it falls flat. I actually don't think it's because other people are uh, co contemptuous or unsympathetic. I just think that it, it just doesn't sound right outside your own experience. Like if you try to explain dreams to people and you're like, okay, so there was this giant ball, but it was green. And like yeah. then it opened like a flower and there was a tiny baby, but the oh baby God. was... Yeah, no, I know. I was there. I was that baby. Yeah, no, I know. People wouldn't actually get it, right? Right. Yeah. Everyone's like, uh-huh. Is this going to take a while? Because I well, got to get like, back to... It, yeah. if, I, if, I may be, if I may speak in, in a Venusian stance here, and we're all adults here, uh, I expect, because I did put the 18 plus rating on this, um, just for good keepings. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like having, it, you can't have someone else's orgasm. It's not going to work. So that very intensely self, how you say, filtered thing, experience, it's quite like a synchronicity. And that's why your synchronicity or anyone else's, it's going to be very meaningful. But that's because it's filtered through the prism, which is uh, the life experience that is you or anyone else. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no, it does. And I think that yeah. this language of the universe we're sort of talking about or, or you know, whatever it is, is it, it's, not a, it's not a verbal language. It's an, a language of both symbol and emotion. And yeah, I think yeah, the emotion absolutely. part, yeah, the emotion part is the part that's individual. So the symbols can be very universal. If I say this is this thing, I saw a lot of people with at least a similar cultural background is going to be like, oh, symbol of X, right? Like we have like common... Cat. Yeah, exactly. We're going to have common symbol languages and we can sort of converse around that. But the symbol, of the, the language of emotion is much harder to convey. The thing you yeah. feel when it happens to you is really hard to explain. That's why so, a yes, poet if you're, is so amazing. Like a good poet who can really capture that. And yes, there's that whole thing about how poems can mean a lot of different things. But, you know, and that's part of why, again, it goes to the experience of the individual. But if they're able to evoke that, to really draw up that magical experience in the poem like that's that's why we have so much respect for those people because they're doing something where they're connecting us to that even if again it gets filtered through the individual there's still something that's very powerful about putting those words in a specific order that every time you know a, at least a relatively half thinking half feeling creature you know it can process that semblance of verbiage they're going to get some kind of evocation of emotive activity 
Yeah, and I think, and I think that's why it comes off. I mean, you just poets are a good example because poetry and spellcraft and written magic are very tightly tied together. So you you could argue that poets are magi- magicians basically because they're yeah. conveying this this language, uh, this you know secret emotional language through written language, which is a huge translation skill. That's like an amazing skill, and not everybody can do that, which is why there's plenty of us who are bad poets, including yeah. myself, right? I'm not a good, I've written poetry. It was terrible, I'm sure. That, so, not all of, not like, I mean, like not all great poets, poems are great either. You're, you know, especially coming from the age of uh, books, you know, those things were distilled down. Now everyone has a WordPress and I am as guilty of this as anyone, but you know, not every great poem, poets, poets, uh, all their poets, poems are great, you know, maybe a handful and I think so, yeah, but I think that's a that's sort of the the interesting thing is when you're experiencing um magic right or synchronicity in your life or whatever um it can be hard to communicate it effectively, yep. and that makes for this sense that kind of you're doing alone stuff now, the nice thing, of course, which, like you said, having a community, you can have sort of a similar language for discussing stuff, and you can yeah. get. But like other people's dreams aren't interesting. Oh, good. Yeah, I was just thinking about dreams too. Yeah, they're, they're just not. They never. Oh, I mean, every so often something is really mind blowing, and it's usually some stuff that seems really precognitive. Like if you're like, I dreamt this plane crashed, and then dude, there was a plane crash. Well, dude, that's interesting. Everyone yeah, thinks our, that's our interesting. survival instincts like that kind of stuff. But regular dreams, like symbolic dreams they never make sense to other people because you're like, there was, you know, there was this thing and it was everything. And I touched it and I was everything. And I had this moment and <laughs> everyone else is just like, yeah. No, but you know, what's so funny is that there's your, I was about to ask if you've ever seen this, you just described the meme. I was about to ask you about, there's this meme about taking LSD where this one guy's like, you know, it says like the first, it's a two panel and the top one says first time taking LSD. Whoa, I saw a collapsing universe and all of the world turned to mirrors and I saw every single phase of myself and it splintered into oblivion and slashed up the entire landscape. And it says like 30 second LSD trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the time knife. We've all seen that. <laughs> well, I, no, that's actually really good. That's actually really funny. And I haven't seen that because I think it's, um, I think that one of the interesting things about entheogens is they seem to have, uh, they have their own personalities and their own kind of, yes. their yes. own like kind of I languages. Yes, is a female and Ibogaine is a male or whatever. Yeah. Right, right. And, and people who have, people can have, if not identical experiences, because they won't, and certainly the emotional components won't be well translatable, that's what we're talking about, but you could have an experience and have it be, um, have it have similarities, right? Have, yeah. Be like, oh yeah, yeah, the, this is the tunnel thing, or these are the shapes, or whatever <laughs> it is that people are experiencing. Yeah. At, and I, well, and I think that uh, this is an example of where if the world was more attuned to this stuff, not everyone should be doing LSD, seriously. Nope. No, yeah. bad, bad idea. Let's not, not put it in the water. We're not giving but, medical advice here, people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no. But at the same time, um, the fact that we can now um, we can now communicate these ideas more broadly through the internet allows yeah. us to sort of socialize stuff that's important stuff. So th- this is the renaissance of practical magic, right? So I agree. Um, when when uh, when I can 
like when I started out, like I said, I wanted a tarot deck and there wasn't one I could have. There wasn't one at the store. There wasn't one at the store in the next town over. Yeah. You there had to imitate your own eschaton basically. Yeah. And you really had to c- kind of crack open a path to that stuff. And I'm not going to be all like kids get off my lawn. You have it so easy these days because I actually think it's a good thing that now anyone who's interested in taro can go buy a deck and play with it or not. Yeah. I mean, like you almost got to wonder, like, like it feels like we're evolving in a way. And I mean, like um, there's, there's so many ways that I see different topics. I can see the right wing conspiracy way. I can see the left, like, Holy crap, everyone like let's ascend. But I try to liberally strike a balance and take the best of what really is. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. And I think that we really are seeming like beyond the idea of like so much meaning breaking down and traditional values breaking down. I do see that there's a light side to that where that a lot of people are becoming more archetypally um, attuned. And that that comes with costs and benefits because like, a whole archetypally attuned society of people who have not dealt with their shadow, that is going to be bad. So we need to make sure that part of the responsibility of the magical renaissance is also that therapeutic aspect, which takes on myriad forms for different cultures and individuals. But definitely we need to press the idea of working with our dark sides that uncontrolled subconscious BS that Jung talks about. I think I just want, I feel it's responsible while we're talking about expansion of awareness in the occult to also talk about the very real practical health concerns, if you will. I definitely, I definitely see that. And I think that one, one kind of answer to that with the risk of, of stepping into kind of the realm of cultural appropriation is this sort of concept of like a shamanic healing. And I'm really uncomfortable with the term because it comes from a certain culture. And again, we shouldn't just be randomly stealing people's shit. But at the same time, this idea that when you're exploring yourself in the universe in a symbolic enchanted way even if you're doing it in a in a very sort of uh, mellow way like you're just you've got some stuff that's built up and you can see that it's impacting you and you can see like that from a spiritual standpoint you don't feel spiritually whole that's a very kind of that could happen to anybody regardless of what magic they do or don't do or regard i mean the idea that you can go to somebody who can help you with that I think that's important. And every culture has had that kind of doctor. We don't. We missed it. We have head doctors, right? With And they have flaws and benefits. And then we have physical, like body doctors. But no soul and, doctors, yeah. Yeah, well, and the priesthood was supposed to do that. Supposed to. But unfortunately, um, I just, I feel like there's sort of a gap in there for that kind of that kind of working and so when we talk about people seeing the chaos in the world and being troubled by it i'm not talking about other people i feel the same thing i'm like holy cow stuff's getting crazy yeah well we Ah. talk about how we how i mean it's a it's a it's a trope by now but we talk about how we lock up the shamans and we put our uh you know and we're i don't think it's cultural appropriation if we're just using it as a metaphor rather than directly wearing a shaman thing, you know what I'm saying? So we're just using it as a useful metaphor for now. Um, Cause that's a, it's frankly a good enough word for the time being. 
Um, well, and it, it has a meaning that people understand, which yeah. is the trouble here is because it's not a good replacement word that we have. Yeah, that's uh, like German has great words for stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think that's part of like what Rune Soup and other outfits like it can be working on is actually that's a good project to get into the like the mainstream lexicon especially if we are experiencing an occult renaissance it would be responsible to be at the cutting edge and making sure shit don't get all wild out but um yeah we do tend to put them in the mental hospitals and put them on lots of pills and you know frankly um yeah that's 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 a very archonic process that seems like um these are the birth pangs and maybe those quote-unquote medicine men or shamans and women you know maybe they need to go through those processes too because that's part of understanding like going through those trials is part of understanding the sickness of this age i'm, I'm just kind of making this up as i go along here well and i'm not one of those people like who are called to do that very hard work and so i'm not um I'm not the expert and I don't want to speak for anybody, but I do know some right people on. who've been through that kind of experience where they're being, they're being pulled apart themselves and put back yeah. together and then they can use that for something. I had an experience like that in my past and, but it's not a, it wasn't for, wasn't for healing. It was more for um, seeing and communicating. So like everybody has, maybe if you have that kind of experience that sort of reformulates you, then you take that and you do something with it magically. That's awesome. I don't want to speak for other people who can, who have that kind of gift to help people heal. I just think that we, right we, we lessen its importance in our society because we're so independent. I think like, so a lot, <laughs> this is the whole, if people have, if people are troubled or they have, they're depressed or they, they have a mental illness, there's a lot of people who throw that right back on the person. Yeah, well, that's your problem. And if you only ate kale and did yoga, I'm sure you'd be fine. Yeah, which we, I think we can agree those are complicated uh, terms in the first place. They, they are archonic terms in the first place, like mental illness. Even the verbiage is part of the, part of the gestalt issue. You know what I at mean? The, yeah, and at the same time, if people are troubled and struggling with things, uh, that's not all on them and that's not all for right. them to all fix themselves. And so I think that's where, um, Cause you talked about the zombie society earlier, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, you know, like there's that great quote, uh, to be well, you know, it's no sign of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Exactly. And so I, I think that there, there are some things to gently explore there, but the trouble is that, um, our, current our current dialogue and i mean that in a broad sense our political dialogue our social dialogue our ability to communicate and listen honestly and openly have been uh, really degraded and the same wonderful tools that bring you magic from around the world help degrade them right so it's kind of a double-edged sword but our dialogue that's is so well degraded. that's profoundly put ivy well put oh thank you thank you but i just i feel like it's so degraded that um it's so hard to talk about these things with any sense of nuance. Like you want to be able to say, have, um, you know, embrace your own power, try to fix, you know, try to have, try to be healthy for yourself and try to find a, a way to, to keep peace and sanity in kind of a crazy world. But you want to be able to say that without blaming anybody for, for doing or not doing what you think is a good idea because that's not yeah. the way to, to help anybody. I totally hear you. Like I, uh, without going too far into my own story, I can speak to those experiences. Uh, that's a part of my 
lived experience as someone who, I mean, my name literally means the gift. Uh, if just, just the Nathan alone, uh, Nathan Lee, I translate into the holy gift. Um, I have had those experiences and you do not always get pulled back together again after them sometimes. Uh, sometimes that takes an even longer amount of time. But uh, I definitely think that, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to in uh, this conversation today is maybe for people who are at a point in their life where they're looking to, you know, like imagine with me a seedling, the amazing amount, this uncanny amount of energy that's about to transpire, to explode like a big bang when the seedling sprouts out of that seed. It's such a small, itty bitty, little, itty bitty thing. And it's just such a soft, you could squish it. But yet, whatever's going on with the ratio of proportions in that little itty bitty, 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 that's a magnificent amount of energy that's going on right there. And one of the things I think that practical enchantment with project management, or excuse me, practical magic with project management, I think that's one of the things that your work helps bring to people's lives is kind of like, you know, there's several different angles to it, giving them better habits, giving that, you know, if that's more of like the maintenance level. But one of the things I'm excited about talking with you today about is what are some of the things that you bring to the magical table? Because you are all little chefs. We all bring our potlucks, you know. Um, what I like about what I've experienced from your work is that, you know, I'm at a stage in my life where I feel like I'm getting ready to pop out of the seed. So maybe uh, we can talk about it from that vantage point and uh, kind of step left into some of the articles that you've been writing lately, especially at the end of uh, you know, this year and the one after. And if you want, talk about your friend, um, I forget his name, Harold or something like that. You know, in that article, you had that guy who was, um, at, you know, he wants to smash the teacup. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> my my mythical friend who wants to smash the teacup. So yeah, okay. So so here's an interesting this is an interesting segue because I was talking about um having a sense of nuance about this. And so the first place to start is I had sent this to you and I think it's the most important thing I've ever written. It's called The Rules for Them and The Rules for You. And the idea is that you can uh you can grab a hold of your own life and make good changes in it. You could take that responsibility while still acknowledging the forces that trap people into things that are beyond their control. And I think that's super important because I, while I come out of the professional world of project management and then the magical world, which I've been doing for a long time, I've been doing both a lot, right? Um, I, my work is sort of <clears throat> um, self-improvement adjacent and I find that somewhat discomforting because the self-improvement, personal growth kind of field has a, has a flaw in that um, it tends to like, it tends to sort of have this judgmental sort of thing where, well, you could change your life for the better. Therefore, if your life isn't good, it's your fault. And I really don't like that. I call, it's like the secret bullshit, and I yeah. don't like it. Yeah. So to start with, I wanted to set kind of this parameter that what you do for yourself, what you try to do for yourself to improve your life, doesn't give you the right to judge anybody else. 
And it doesn't give me to judge the, to judge anybody else's life. Everybody's got to figure out their own stuff in environments that can be yeah. uh, systemically oppressive and unfair yeah. and that aren't really designed for your benefit. So that's the idea. So if you grab your life, you can improve it, but let's improve it in a way that it just acknowledges this wider context. Nice. And then, and then from there, how do you do that? So, okay, so we know that, since I hope your audience knows that practical enchantment can you know, improve your odds, change your life. That's great. But how do you leverage it correctly? Like you can do, you know, this is kind of the, this is kind of that monkey's paw idea. Like I don't believe that magic is out to get you in like a monkey's paw sense, but if you don't leverage your enchantment correctly, you can get results that aren't interesting or that don't make you happy or that aren't what you wanted. So you can fire the arrow, but if you don't aim it at a target, you're just going to get a bunch of wasted energy sticking out of a wall. Exactly. Beautiful metaphor. Really useful. And it's this, but it, but here's the thing. That's the same as in mundane life. If you up and apply to law school tomorrow, and let me tell you, there's tons of people who do this. They apply to law school and four years later they pass the bar and they're lawyers and they're like, I don't actually want to be a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're not careful with how you point your mundane energy you have the same problem right you put all this energy into something that's not the right thing and you end up with the goal that's the wrong goal and the life that's not the right life in terms of making you happy and fulfilled yeah and a lot of so, student loan money debt too for a lot yeah, of yeah no kidding right yeah. so there's real costs to picking wrong yeah well, I mean, and it doesn't help when like the president goes out and says that everyone should go to college either like there's a like like you said that the system is not always set up for people to succeed. Right. And, and you can't, and you can only do small things, if anything, to change the system, but you can still change your life and your world, which is kind of my, I think that's a much more, a whole bunch of people changing their individual lives. It's probably going to be a lot better than trying to fight a, a gigantic wall to use a seemingly timely metaphor. Exactly. And so I think that, um, I think that one of the things that came to me, it came to me some years back is that the things I was learning in my career in terms of project management were directly applicable to magic, directly applicable. They're like, make your magic better. And of course, so of course magic can make your career better. Like if I would be lying, if I hadn't said I didn't use magic for my own career, but the reverse is not true. only lying. You wouldn't be a good, you wouldn't be a good magician or per, yeah. uh, a, a culty type person. Exactly. Because I, because of course I use magic for my career, but then what I was seeing was that I could use my career directly to make my magic better. And that's super useful. And yet the things I do at my work, right. Aren't they're a cult but they're not a cult. They're a cult in that they're generally hidden. Nobody really thinks about what a project manager might do or the skills they might have. It's a kind of a, it's a body of knowledge. It's just like, I don't know what surgeons do. Surgeon knowledge yeah. is occulted to me. You're an eye surgeon. I have no clue. That I, could I think be, people would agree that a mechanic is something that a lot of people have no idea about. Right. Cars for me are the deepest occulted <laughs> magic. Whatever goes on under the hood, there could be like, you know, there could be like, uh, you know, magical circles and demons being invoked, and yeah. I wouldn't know. Like those tool, no those toolboxes are the external. Those are the outer church. The or, no, that's a in, that's the wrong term. They're they're the uh, they're the exoteric. What's actually happening is they just flick a wand and the car fix, fixes itself. That's why they don't let us see what they're doing. 
Exactly. But that's, <laughs> the, but that's the truth of any skill set. And so when yeah. I was seeing that I could use my, my, uh, my corporate career skills for, to make my magic better, at it's some so point I wanted... It's just so badass. <laughs> well, I appreciate that because at some point I wanted to share that, which is where I started like stalking Gordon a little bit because, you know, he has a PM background, project management background. Yes, and yes. He, he's like early in his blog, he mentioned a little bit and I ran across it and I'm like, Oh my God, yes, somebody else. And so then eventually I started kind of blogging about it. So the key point is that you can use these, you can use these tools to like make your life better because these tools are for making shit run better. I mean, that's the whole point of my job is that, um, I just do it like in my day job, I do it for a company, right? Um, they have goals that they set, they have a strategy and ideas of what they want to accomplish, and then they need to like make those goals happen. Yeah. And so obviously there's P all sorts of people involved, way smarter people than me who, who do things like write computer code, which is another thing that's to me somewhat occulted. Right. But yeah. there's a, there's a need for someone to make the goal happen just by keeping stuff running and that's project management and it, it turns out that huge swaths of it can absolutely be lifted straight out of that and plugged right into magic and i find it a deeply subversive act i think that sometimes the stuff i write about can, can seem a little bit dry because it's like okay let's talk about project initiation or let's talk about project phases and is that yawny or whatever or is it too corporate and dude we know it, that our, our world runs on money, unfortunately. Is it so Yanni or is it Laurel? Oh, <laughs> sorry. That's it. Do you, do you, okay. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. So, but and truthfully, the corporate world is uh, got tons and tons of money to leverage to figure out what works. Yeah. And, and uh, if you steal it from them, that's like stealing fire from the big gods, right? Steal it from yep. them. Use the it for yourself. For Coke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Make I mean, your life better? Like when those journalists told all those miners to learn how to code, it's kind of like, yeah, you want them to steal that. You, you want those miners who have done miner stuff there. It was just radically out of touch to tell miners to learn how to code because it was telling these people who have never even thought about fire to steal it from the gods. That's true. But the truth is that even people who know how to do magic, right, to various levels, they, they have magical skills they can leverage. Yeah sometimes it still doesn't work out like the magic might work, yeah. but their lives as a whole don't work. And the great example of this is folks who are financially stuck, which is because of the environment we're in a lot of people. Again, no blame. Yeah. My God, this is a hard, hard environment to try to make like work out. And oh, yeah. unfortunately it's really hard to sidestep out of it, particularly if you have a family or kids. Oh yeah. And, so people are people feel financially stuck, and at the same time they'll do magic, and they'll get the magic will it will work in that some money comes to them to help them pay the emergency bill or deal with the situation. But overall, it's not building up to something that would make a more long term improvement. Yeah, I was just thinking the, like I would like if I got if my if my magic like if my honey jar if my financial spell worked whether we're using like freighter UD using mercury, uh, using, using money as, as air instead of earth. Like if my money magic worked, I would want to invest it. I would want to start putting like, you know, what's the long term going to do? If you win the lottery, 
you know, there's that whole thing about people, you know, they, they mess up their lives because they don't know how to hold on to that kind of currency. Like it shocks them. It's like, like what you're saying. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't look for emergencies. If you're going to make it, you got to change what you're doing. And that includes like, you know, investing in a new company. You know what I mean? Create passive wealth. I know those are big things, but that does seem to me like, cause I'm in that, I'm not going to say too much about my own stuff, but I feel I can identify with being in that financially stuck area. You know what I mean? So like, well, yeah, you, you got to do something different if you want a new result, basically. Right. And I think that, well, and um, financial stuff is always good to talk about because I think it's a commonality, especially for people in the Western world, right? Yeah. Like where everybody's paying some bills and they got to figure out how to do that. And that can be stressful. Right. And, sure. and again, and again, this has nothing to do with, Oh, you made a bad choice. Therefore X, Y, and Z. I got to tell you from my own history a few years ago, yeah. uh, I had a serious accident in my immediate family oh, and it caused, hear that. well, first of all, a massive cascade of medical bills, which I have corporate insurance. I have the kind of medical insurance that's like the really shiny kind that yeah. people would really be happy to have. I feel very lucky to have it. And it still caused a huge problem. Like, you know, some huge percentage of bankruptcies in the U.S. are due to medical bills. So if anyone's listening from a country with socialized medicine, just be really happy and grateful, right? So anybody could get hit, literally hit, right, by something that shakes them up that way and yeah. no amount of your prior decisions get the blame it's just one of those things it's a black swan it's something that comes out of the blue but uh. you messes up your life in a way that you never expected and couldn't predict right yeah and yeah. and you have to deal with it so one of the things i've been i've been trying to 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 focus on when i when i'm sharing kind of this pm stuff with people is what are people's what are people's lives really like? So I've worked for a lot of companies. Some companies are kind of big, they're staid, they're a little bit boring, they're kind of predictable. They have project management processes and tools that are meant for that environment. I know very few actual individuals who are living there. They're living in startups. They're living in those tiny companies with like five people and everyone's working crazy hours and like uh, they, they get a crazy new idea and they try it and it works and it doesn't work and, and then they lose money and they can barely make payroll. And yeah, when that's I was a kid, the world. I was, I just decided uh, I, I was babysat by a guy, the guy who started Foursquare. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, I guess it's public knowledge. Uh, his he his last name is Crowley, which is kind of an interesting magical tie-in. Yeah, uh, his name was Dennis Crowley, and he was our babysitter, and he he was like the coolest dude. And I'm glad he's doing well. Uh, but anyways, I just thought I'd add that because some startups do work. No, no, they do work. That's the thing is that startups can startups can fail and do at rapid rates. They can work. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes become what they call the unicorn, which is the billion-dollar startup, right? The dream of every venture capitalist. I but wonder like, if we let's, invent a black unicorn. I just want to put that out there. That we don't have to define that right now, but it seems like it should be a thing. So anyway. As opposed to the black swan, I well, love Well, a combination of the two. Right, right. The, the, good, the good black swan that comes at you and gives you really good luck. Oh, see, you just did it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's a thing. So yeah, so a black swan can be negative or positive. Okay, so I'm a, I'm gonna I'm gonna black segue unicorn. into 
uh, Nisim Taleb, right, who wrote The yep. Black Swan and Anti-Fragile, and I'm a fan, and I recommend his books. So sure. anyway, the point being that he wrote about this concept of this black swan, which is this big event that happens, and its characteristics are it comes out of nowhere, yeah. so nobody predicts it. It has completely outsized results, like you'd never expect that to happen. Like uh, 9-11 is a black swan. Hmm? The band Nirvana was a black swan. Right. And so was 9-11. That's the example people use. Is nobody would have predicted that. And it yeah, was had way movies with 9-11 in it and all that. You've seen those videos. Oh, we don't have to get diverted by that, but like apparently like the whole subconscious, like with all those films with like the Twin Towers and the Super Mario Bros. movie released in 93, same year mm-hmm. as the first World Trade Center, has two buildings that get destroyed and dustified and stuff. I don't know. But anyways, you said no one would predict it. And part of my brain just had to put that out there. But you're right. Well, no one knew the day before that that stuff would go down. Nope. Right. And no, if, you, if you did predict it, um, you could do you could do something about it. And in fact, there was a guy who worked in security in the towers. I don't have his name. Yeah, offhand, I've heard he about actually, that guy. Yeah, he actually predicted it. He died rescuing people, but he had said, I'm worried about an attack on these buildings. He didn't predict it like to the moment, but he saw it coming. Back in 06 and 07, um, I got the strong feeling that the housing market was going to crash and oh, we yeah. got out from under our extremely large house at a profit nice. about about nine months. Like we hit the peak of the yeah. market in our market and then it started to soften and then the end of 08 hit and it was like the, the financial apocalypse. It wasn't yeah, a black swan for us because- house in 2005. So yeah, we, we did pretty okay. See, smart. If you see it coming for no, whatever reason- That was an accident. Our family has just pretty <laughs> incredible luck. We lost our tickets to the Titanic kind of thing. And speaking right. of 2011, my, da- my dad had um, a plane ticket for the set of fl- so here's the 911 flights my dad was on these flights the right the next round of flights afterwards like eight, wow. eight o'clock in the morning flights out of logan yeah so if he'd had a slightly different schedule he'd had no a very problem. different outcome yeah and right. my father just became a mason like last uh last month or two at the age of 69 and like that's a whole other thing. Like, like my family has like this a really incredibly faded good luck. It seems like, but uh, I'm sorry. I, I just thought that those would be good examples to throw in there. Uh, no, especially. but what you're t- touching on are three really important things. Okay, so let's take a step back. These black swans are bad things, or they could be good things, right? Like a really good thing could happen, and the result could be bad. Like, let's say you you come out with a little product. I'm selling this widget and it goes totally viral. And now you have a hundred thousand orders and you can't fulfill them. That's a good black swan. But if you're not ready for it, it could go, it could go right. Like you could, you could not take advantage of it. So, so let's, let's touch on a couple of really interesting points. One was the thing I said about if you can see a black swan coming, it's not a black swan for you, which, gives us hints to use divination to see what bad things are coming, right? Which is a very good, powerful use of the divination that people sometimes don't think of. Like, let me see the crap. Like, where, is the, where are the danger spots? The second thing to take from this is what you're saying about your family's general good luck. When you have a magically operant life, when you do a lot of magic, work a lot of magic you would generally improve your luck so that's the general state of kind of uplift you get from doing magic so that's the other thing so we've got 
it's it, the bad thing is not a bad thing if you can see it and dodge it, which you can't always, but you know, if you can. The yeah, second some things piece are just is, faded, it seems. Exactly. Exactly. The second thing is this idea, though, that when you do magic, you just increase your luck. Right? And then the third thing is the environment in which this stuff happens. This kind of what I'm going to call that startup environment, the very crazy, lots of shifts and lots of chaos. Yeah. That lends itself to certain kinds of magic and certain kinds of planning. That's agile. And that is kind of why I wrote that kind of agile yeah. magic manifesto. Yeah. Right? got to get into that. Because what I saw was that we don't, the world isn't the place where the kind of calm, well-planned, things never change stuff is really going on for most people. It's the kind of place where lots of craziness is. Yeah. Agile is actually a, a, a code, a software development methodology that was come up with, it was come up. Uh, with by these guys who were software developers. That's really and interesting because like chaos math is what gave chaos magic its name. And so you wrote something about magic that came from software development. I think that's really cool. Right, right. So these guys, they hold themselves up, these, these software developers in like some sort of ski, I think it was a ski resort. And they uh -huh. created this agile manifesto. But the, the idea was what was happening is that so the boss types would come and say we want you to build a piece of software that does x y and z sure. and then those boss type and they'd give them like a booklet of requirements and then the boss types would leave yeah these guys would work on it for six months come back with what they built and the boss types would go that's not either that's not what we wanted yeah that's what we thought we wanted but now we want something else yeah or now that we see it we don't like it yeah and it's incredibly inefficient and it's just a terrible way to do stuff. Sure. And so they decided they came up with this manifesto and I, and I, I, I took it and I translated it to sort of a magical context. But the idea is that you do better by taking small bits of work, doing them and then circling back and seeing if it's working. So instead of saying, yeah, in a year from now, I have this year-long goal and, and thing. So in a year from now, I want to be this, to take it purely to a personal context. And I'm going to do this spell now so that I get that. You yeah. don't do that. You work in these tiny little increments. You say, okay, so my long-term goals kind of feel like this, but I could change my mind. So that's kind and of why like, you did like the lunation right too, because it's a 29-day period. Oh yeah, no, that's that's. I'm tying things. I'm tying them together somehow. Well, no, that's fascinating because the um, the Agatho, the Agatho Damon thing, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <coughs> thank so you. Here's the, the Agatha Damon. So here's yep. the uh, here's the thing about the lunation right. Um, the way that Agile ma works, whether it's a software development methodology or magic, the way that Agile magic works is that you, you pick a period of time and a lunation is a perfect period of time. It's basically a month. And you can do a calendar month or you can do a lunar month. But you pick For the, the month. For the Hebrews, it was a month. Hmm? For the Hebrews, it was a month. Right, exactly. And you could say, okay, so in the next month, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to try these things out. I'm going to keep in mind my goal and then I'm going to check back. And then in a month you check back and you say, okay, how did the month go? Did I accomplish what I set out to do? If not, why? 
okay, remind myself of my goal again. Does the goal still fit? Do I want to change direction? Do I want to yeah. ditch something that's not working? So that's the whole, that's the whole methodology. Yeah, Very it ties kind into of, the software kind of idea of the, um, the agile, agility type. Right, but you can also do it with magic. You can say over the coming month, I'm going to do the following magic spells or sigils, or I'm going to focus on this magic, or I'm going to call this deity. And then I'm also going to do these mundane things to anchor it, because you know you've got to do the work. And then at the end of the time, yeah. you come back and you say, how did it work? What am I going to adjust moving forward? So you don't end up the lawyer who just spent $100,000 on a four-year degree for a career they no longer want. Yeah, or that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. Ro robots so, be taking jobs, yo. Yeah, no kidding. So then the, the lunation rite was this weird kind of uh, juxtaposition of several things that I had been interesting, interested in. One is the lunar days from the Hygromantea, which I have to credit Gordon to pointing me to originally, and I have the, the oh, translation yeah. now. I, I just think we should just say, like, I think all we have to... It, 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 we're going to actually talk about um, Mr. The, the, the wonderful Mr. White pretty soon, but uh, yeah, uh, just express our gratitude to him right there. Both of us. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he's a, he's a really great teacher and he knows a lot and he shares really easily. So I was interested oh, in that. I've been interested in the Orphic hymns for a long time. That's and right. Yes. That's what I couldn't remember the other part. It was the Orphic hymns. Right, the Orphic hymns, and then I, I have, um, I've been, you know, learning more about the PGM, which is fascinating, and doing yep. a lot of PGM focused magic. That's the, 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 the Greek, Greek magical papyri, right? <laughs> I, we vibe really. I've been noticing, like, I can, like, I love your, like, I just want to say, I love your energy. Like, I, I, I just like it. So, anyways, like, just putting that out there, people. All right, please. So, but yeah, so those those three things were things I had been working on, and they sort of mushed up in my head. And I had this idea that these lunar days, some of which seemed really aligned with Orphic hymns, like certain deities in the Orphic hymns and the hymns themselves, like the actual, um, the actual um, Athanasaskis. I'm so sorry, I can't pronounce his very long Greek name. The really good translation. Okay. Uh, yes, Athanasaskis. Oh, oh, the Athan. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the books in the Hygromantia, right? Well, no, this is, this, this is a translation of the Orphic hymns by this guy, Ap Apostolos and Athanaskis. Oh, I just, can you show it to me I on just, the screen? I'm gonna, I want to try yes, to mess it, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, on. I can't... Yeah, you can barely... Apostolos Athanasakis. See, I told you. Athanasakis, of course. So, Are yeah, you? I apologize. How I many chaos magicians does it take to produce one book title? Or oh, author? my God. Yeah, one author. I apologize to this author because his translation is lovely, and I much prefer it to the old Taylor translation that you can find online. All press is but, good press, Ivy. All press is good press. Yeah, even if I mispronounce his name, I apologize. Well, but now people will never forget them. No, they probably won't. They'll be like, that guy with the weird name. Athanathicus. And, and he's a scholar, right? This is like a scholarly work of translation. So what's fascinating yeah. about it is I started to see these connections and that ended up becoming this kind of ritual structure, this daily ritual structure yeah. where for each day of the lunar day, you yeah. work this little ritual and then you could put magic in it. So like you could do sigils or state intentions or yeah. make a, whatever kind of magic sort of tucks into it. Go fishing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> for fishing. Yeah. Every day for 29 days. And it's in the morning. And it doesn't take longer than 15 minutes. Because if I'm going to do something every day for 29 days, it better not take longer than like 15 minutes. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So, 
<laughs> but that the but yes so and i made this thing and i call it the lunation right and i put it out there kind of i put it out there to so the folks who kind of i got some volunteers to kind of trial it out with me yes to just sort of see if i was off base so i got a couple folks who just volunteered and then i think i missed I, that just by like a minute but i was totally ready to do it just for the oh, no no it's it's i appreciate that and then and then so i just took a couple volunteers and then i released it to the newsletter to say Hey, we're starting on the 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 tenth is the the uh, the excuse me the sixth of December, which is like the super auspicious day that I've been talking which is about. The day that I launched this very podcast. Right, exactly. The super <laughs> because of you, mind day. you. Because of you, thank you, Ivy. Uh, well, I'm happy that proved useful. Yeah, because I love hearing back from people who actually use those magical <laughs> auspicious days. Right. That's crazy. I completely forgot about that until right now. Oh my god. Yeah. And and so uh, we we a bunch of people tried it, and then I sort of released it to the world, kind of in early January. So if people wanted to kick off the year doing it, they could. And the thing is, you could do it. I I probably couldn't. I'm not that great in the morning, so I probably couldn't do it like every single month of the year. Like I probably couldn't. I'd probably miss some. But we had a lot of good feedback, and so I'm like, people could redo it every couple months or redo it for their the months around their birthday or at the start of every year or just whatever feels right. So it, anyway, we it's a thing Gordon's I made. birthday as like a marker too, but he is, he, he like me is born at one of the uh, four cross quarters. Basically he's uh June 25th, 1981, I think. When are you born? Okay. Um, well, uh, so I'm born, um, I'm born on, okay, get this. I'm born on Hobbit <laughs> day in the year of Orwell. That's how I say it. And that's, um, September twenty second, nineteen eighty four. Oh, yeah. so you've got the you're the winter solstice. So uh, close enough. Um, well, autumnal, close enough. autumnal equinox. Nice. Yeah, I'm literally born. At oh no, zero, you're September. You, you said September twenty second. Oh, sorry. Yeah, maybe that came through like all weird. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no. September's uh, Hobbit. The uh, Bilbo and Frodo were born on September twenty second, and I am born right. On, um, like if I was born like 12 hours earlier in the day, uh, I would still be a Virgo, but I'm a zero, zero degree Libra. That's awesome. I yeah, just, I'm, in general, I think it's very cool. What is it? It's just very cool. I, I see it's in, uh, like, like I, I gotta say like some people, when you tell them secret synchronicities and dreams, they do get it. And like, not everyone who I say, Oh, that's my birthday. It takes a certain kind of someone who's keyed into certain vibrational frequencies and awarenesses to say that's very cool. But yes, it is. It's, it's just neat to be born. Then it's not, um, it's pretty, it's pretty farkin rare to be born on a cross quarter day, especially at like a specific, uh, uh, degree, specificity my uh my husband's born on march 22nd right on and, oh cool. yeah, and he, yeah and he's like a four hour cusp or something between he's an aries but he's like just a barely a cusp right yeah, of, yeah, yeah. from pisces yep so and then um so i'm and then i'm born august 6th so i think that's boring and <laughs> not very interesting but i well, mean it's close to it's close to kind of like that that you know summer quarter day of the August 1st, but, but then say your husband makes up for it for you. That's okay. He, that's pretty cool. And then my, my, the, uh, my son was uh -huh. born on uh, February, like I said, February 1st. February so he 1st, was yeah. born, he was born on candle mass effectively. So, okay. 
there's this kind of interesting kind of in bulk St. Bridget connection thing going on there. Do you, yes, there, yes, no, but do you have a significant moon? What do you mean by a significant moon? Oh, you mean like the moon when I was born? Yeah, did, is there anything like historically, like, so mine is mm. at 20, before we like just go into like astrology porn and like, like, cause we get it and this is fun for us, but like, again, must be mindful of the people listening. They're like, oh my God, stop talking about your signs. Um, yeah, I know. Like, like I'm born 28 degrees Leo moon, which was the moon that caused the great American eclipse. So that, that great American eclipse was eclipsed by a 28 degree Leo moon, which is my moon. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, right. no, my moon, my moon is uh, next door. Uh-huh. My, my son, I've got all this stuff in Leo though. So the whole, the Leo eclipses were pretty, were pretty potent for me actually. Yeah. So. It, the, yeah, um, Cause your stuff would have been activated but for sure. Yeah. And, and it was actually the, the, the great American eclipse, which is just the most amusing, ironic name ever. Well, it did like slash through the country like that, which was really kind of weirdly interesting with the whole like division of the country politically and blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Well, I don't know if you, if you, if you saw totality. No, I don't know if no, you got- no, no, Boston did not get that. And I was in Medway, Mass at the time at my favorite magic store, the Enchanted Fox. Shout out to the Enchanted Fox. Ivy, if you're ever in this place, uh, <laughs> Massachusetts place meeting, I'll take you to the Enchanted mm-hmm. Fox. Lovely little that- place. Not, not super occulty, but more new agey, but it's a lovely place. But anyways, so yeah, I was there. And I, we, only, we only got like, I want to give it like a 66 percentage. Uh, but yeah. How about you? Did you, you're over there? You must have seen the whole thing, right? Yeah, we we went down just an hour or two south, and my my, uh, my son and I actually did and uh, saw totality, and then uh, viewed it. And I did some I did some interesting. So you're not like there was a lot of sort of cautionary. You know, your normal full moon magic isn't going to work in the eclipse, and yeah, I can see that. So what I did was I took some, I had some particular stones that I purchased special, um, and it was a piece of meteorite and a piece of moldavite, which is meteoric glass. Yep. And so I, so they're star rocks effectively, and so I, I got yep. some star rocks, and I, and I got a, and I bought a new like. We were talking about it. I bought a, a tarot deck that was an extremely goth, dark tarot deck. I just want to say and right now, all goth girls listening to this, give me a number. All right, keep going. Love, <laughs> love the goth girls. Okay, keep. Oh the perky ones, not the depressive ones, the perky ones, the badass ones. Keep going. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Badass goth well, girls. How can you go wrong? <laughs> yeah, Give him your number. Don't give him your number. Give okay. him all your numbers. So Especially I bought the deck. Birthday. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you just tell them not to give me their numbers? No, I'm, you totally misheard me. Uh, wait, static on the line. I'm sorry. What? Ivy, I'm nice enough to give you this platform <laughs> and you're trying to sabotage my goth dating. I'm just trying to save a bunch of innocent goth girls. I'm telling you. From, from what? <laughs> you're actually you're very styling so i'm sure you deserve all the goth girl attention you can manage 
Wait a minute. So. Is she trying to save the goth girls or is she trying to be coy and save me? We'll just leave it there. Totally leaving it there. My jujitsu is all right today. <laughs> so, what was I saying? Oh, so yes, we, we were saw saying the totality. To the goth girls to give me their numbers. Yeah, okay. we, you were saying that. What I was saying is that I got to see the eclipse and I put we some stuff out that. to like get eclipse energy on it, right? Like to soak up the eclipse vibe. And um, the the interesting thing was that those those objects are now extremely nasty. Yeah, like but, that's what they said about the eclipse is like that energy is actually really like poisonous is what like that's traditionally been seen as. Yeah, yeah, the rocks are little space weapons. I tried to read with the deck once and I was yeah. I tried to read with it for my for myself and I made myself cry and so I'm like, you know, I'll just I'll just put these aside. So you now. were trying to save me, not them. I get it. Jesus. No, that's what they say though. Those things become like um poisoned, I guess. That's why you're not supposed to do magic. That's why they were traditionally seen as bad omens. Yeah, they're bad omens, and so clearly these objects now are really dark. That doesn't mean they're not useful. That I was just like, make mean... war water with them or something. Well, right. No, they're extremely useful. They're just not useful in the normal full moony kind of friendly way. So, right. so yeah, they don't. They're, they're obviously not going to get used a lot, but they they do have their uses. That said, though, having been in totality, and I'd be curious if anyone kind of listening also got to see it. See yeah, totality. sure. I was, it was, it was really, um, from an esoteric standpoint, incredibly interesting because up to the point of totality, you know, you've got your, your dark glasses on and you're watching and you're like, there's a thing going in front of another thing. That's what it looks like. And it's very interesting. We you know, like it gets dark and that's kind of spooky and there's like the birds start getting quiet and, and then they chirp and that dog's howl and there's all this cool kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like a but twilight zone, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. And but you're watching an object go in front of another object. You're like yeah. two objects. That's what I think happens. And then, and then yeah, well in in the material world that's what happens. And you then at the moment of totality, yeah. You get to take off your glasses. And it wasn't a thing in front of another thing. It was a hole in yeah. the fucking universe and it yeah. was like the void was looking at you yeah i've heard people describe it that way before and it was incredible and people were so we were at like this thing you know there were other people around in like this field watching and with equipment and stuff right and i heard people you know there's lots of joking stuff and then i heard people they were screaming yep uh, i might have done some weeping it was a pretty intense people got activated yeah intense exactly intense experience and I was expecting something woo because, of course, I, you know, I'm a magician. And I brought, <laughs> I, you know, I was expecting something, but even I wasn't expecting that. And I think generally people were just like, holy cow, that was weird. So, you know? like, um, did you did you have, like, any other weird things happen that day? Like, maybe heading back from there? Well, apart from getting caught in the, the epic traffic that literally made this sort of incredible red stripe across the country on Google Maps. Jesus. Um, yeah, no. Which you is could, funny you, actually, you, you said that, and um, that's what was on my screen. That's oh, nice. Your, yeah, that's from your article there. Um, yeah, so what I'm showing Ivy on the for people because y'all are listening to the uh, audio, um, she has a, a, an article that came out uh, actually uh, yesterday. 
called Becoming Habituated. It just shows a big old road all cracked up and messed up. So that's pretty much <laughs> a big red line of traffic. You ain't traveling down that thing. Yeah, yeah. There were some interesting people were taking, uh, you know, screenshots of the Google map. You could literally see where the eclipse had passed because there was just masses of traffic. Yeah, Actually, that makes sense. The couple days before it were really weird, really liminal and strange and, and um, really tough. Like I didn't sleep for a couple days. Okay. There was, it, was, there was, it, was, it was odd. It was like a, tri- a bit of a trial, right? Yeah. You know, and so, so that's how I kind of saw it as a sort of a weird sort of kind of personal trial to get to there and see that thing. But it's yeah, definitely... No, I, you're not the only one who's... Uh, yeah, that's, I've heard that before. That's actually... Um, that's interesting you said that. Yeah. You're lucky that you made it there. Not everyone did. Well, I'm not sure I'm lucky. You know, in thinking about it, it is not a good omen, right? And it's yeah. in my sign. That was the Leo eclipse, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't specifically aspected to me. Thank goodness. Maybe, but it maybe was... you are trying to save those goth girls. Oh, that's, that's stuck in my head now. <laughs> I'm a Leo moon, so my ego is inside and shit. That's like the e- Isn't that what the moon is? It's who you are inside. But no, really... Um, that's uh that is true. My my uh I like to think that maybe it's because it was my my moon lunation that like I was in the eye of the storm that like it didn't like have any effect on me. I don't know. I'm certainly yeah. I'm certainly I I certainly take that whole normal magic during the eclipses doesn't isn't a good idea thing very Austin seriously. Talks about that. Yeah, it's like he says don't do stuff. So let's um let's speaking of Austin um because I found it interesting and by the way uh, Randolph was the name of your uh, your your guy there in your article. Randolph. Oh, Randolph. Ran- right? Uh the year of being agile. Agile yeah. risk management entanglement office space edition. And uh, you oh, were talking yeah. about that yeah, office space guy. And um you had that great um Risk Thulu which I love. And um, I'm jogging your memory because you write so much. So, like, you can't remember everything you do. Well, you kept saying, send me some stuff to look at. And I'd send you some. And you'd say, send me some more stuff to look at. And I'm like, yeah, fine, I'll try to find some more stuff. Yeah. So, uh, one of my, you sent me one of my about areas. Of- things by now because it's been, we've been planning this for a couple of weeks now. So, I've definitely got like a bunch of articles. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. so you know, the. This article that you're referencing, the risk yep. theory one, was this idea that, that, so one of my areas of interest is risk mitigation. Yes. The idea being that, you know, people have these potential risks in their lives and you have to handle them in some way unless lest you get bit by them. And you and, talked about using divination for that. Right. So I've got some divination spreads and, and I've actually, I've actually done them for people in the past, but they're, they take a lot of time and energy for me to do. And so I'm at this point, like you can go. Uh, dig through my blog and find some some spreads that I've talked about for for risk mitigation, but the, this particular article you're referring to is is one of the flaws in risk management, which is an actual professional field related to project management that you can get into. I is didn't know that, but that makes perfect yeah. sense. Hey, like it's a, a thing. Companies. I'm sorry. It's just like insurance or something like that. Like I forget what movie that is, but like. <laughs> They start off the movie with the guys talking about like these weird statistics from an accident and he's showing like this guy like who's been killed in a car crash and he's talking about all the different kinds of small things that happen in that. But yeah, yeah, no, there's absolutely like uh, there's absolutely fields. I just didn't know that was connected to project management. Right. Well, so companies don't like risk. And so one of the jobs of the project manager is to track risk and try to mitigate or avoid or whatever. And but the problem 
I see with it is that they're all dealt with independently. And if you're talking about the people in their lives, that's not yeah. how risk works, right? Nets. If you, you have talk a, about nets of it. Yeah, if if your risk, if you've got a life that's full of risk, they usually all pile up on each other, and it makes it hard to try to get out from under it. So, and so that's something that I was kind of writing about was kind of methods for you know how to disentangle yourself from all these interrelated risks and troubles. You talk about dwelling on the worst case scenario, which is actually um, what came up in a recent uh, the recent Rune Soup podcast. They actually talked about. Uh, if you do, you remember them, Austin and Gordon, talking about how they were saying, like, "Oh, but if you look at the worst, if you risk, it, basically, what we're talking about right now, then you know they were saying divining for the worst in a in a card spread, so that if things go well, hey, bonus, bonus, but if they don't, hey, look, I told you so." Well, right, and there's there's two things about that. One is that um, the worst case scenario worst case scenario thinking is a stoic technique. I'm talking like a stoic philosophy technique. Yep, Cicero, etc. Yeah. Yeah, and so and then I am a uh, I am a fan of stoicism, right? And I re if yeah. anyone's interested, go to the Daily Stoic and check it out. It's a fascinating way of viewing the world. I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and you can. Um, one of the things they do though is they think about the worst case scenario. Yep. And then they also think about death. It's interesting. They have like memento mori. Remember that you were going to die. Yes. Because when you do that, it makes your current problems not seem like such a big deal. Right. So, but the trick with, the trick with, and then the trick with divination is that divination tends to work better for bad news than good news. Good news so, for people who love bad news. Exactly. So you, um, so if you're, that's I think what, you know, Gordon and Austin were talking about like, you know, if, if you go after the bad news, you're going to get maybe better results. Yeah, that's uh, in the game uh, Final Fantasy VIII from whence a cult fan comes, Squall. And last night we had Squall warnings, snow squalls. It was BS, but, you know, they like to freak people out with their incessant texting warnings. Um, they say uh, in Final Fantasy VIII, it's easier just to expect the worst. That way, when things don't turn out, you're not as disappointed. It's kind of actually, go ahead. No, no, that's 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 really accurate. I mean, I think that there, there's there's a truth to that, but sure. you know, I just flipped open my Stoic app because every morning I like to post one, and uh, I'm going to synchronistically at three o three p.m. where it is here give you uh, give this to us. Um, it's Marcus Aurelius who says, "He who lives in harmony with himself lives in harmony with the universe." Oh, I like that. That sounds like Marcus Aurelius. Um, pretty freaking awesome. I mean, for my, I mean, like everyone's got their ups and downs, but he's definitely someone I tend to um, identify with when I'm try when I'm at my best. It also reminds me of that whole language of the universe thing we were talking about. How when you're attuned to stuff and you're you know you're doing the good magic, then the universe starts talking to you in its language. Yeah. That's like being attuned to the universe. So that's what that absolutely reminds me of. That was an excellent. I'm so that was a really good um, uh, circle back. You just circled that shit thrice, Ivy. That was actually. <laughs> Hence the name. Da da da. See, we we're going on tour, folks. But anyways, 
Um, you're all weak. Tip your waitress. <laughs> <laughs> Be kind to the bartender. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I have. Okay, so there's a there's a few things. Um, I, I think this is a good time just while we're uh, kind of in the um, in the uh, in the, uh, the 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 Vesica Pisces overlap of talking about Gordon. I want to thank you, as you know, because not you know not everyone knows this, but uh, specifically uh, as a Rune Super and as someone who. I'll just say cares about Gordon's well-being and the well-being of other Rune Supers. Thank you for stepping up to the plate and organizing that. Because in the same podcast, not by name, but I get to, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, yo, I'm going to do it. Um, Ivy was the one who stepped up and had the idea to activate a prayer session uh, with for Gordon. Now, for people who don't know, um, at Rune Soup, we do these prayer things. There's Pacific and East Coast um, prayer groups, at least. And what we do is it's called the Power of Eight, and at least eight people get together, and we focus with some music, Choku Ray and etc. And we listen to this peaceful music, look at a picture, and we have a prayer intention, which then you know we seem to get good results. So Ivy had the idea because it's worked so far to organize an impromptu prayer session for Gordon. And in fact, we got to do two that day. And then we did another one last night and I'm a Mason. And just in general, I like to do things in threes. So by the time we've heard that I heard this podcast recording of Gordon, we had done at least three different prayer sessions. But the whole point is Ivy, thank you for organizing that and getting that underway. Well, I was saying this earlier when we had a little technical difficulty, but I was saying this earlier. I, I don't think I deserve nearly all that amount of credit. Honestly, I think everybody really was stepping up and organizing and there's been a bunch of different intentions and people have been solo intending and doing magic and praying. And so, yes, I, I caught his post about having to evacuate and I mentioned it on the blog and kind of, there was a, I, I was the first one kind of probably who saw it. But honestly, so many people there were just stepping up and doing it. And so I refuse to take anything close to full credit for that because so many awesome people have really been. It's a good thing I was only offering 33 and a third percent credit. Awesome. I could take that. I'll take no. But it was, it was, it wasn't, it does take a village to save a village, hopefully. Uh, But you're, you're, you know, I, I, you're humble. Your humility is well met. Um, and you know, partial credit where partial credits do, we can, we can agree there and go ahead. Indeed. Well, and I think it's a really good takes, makes a really good opportunity to, um, makes a really good opportunity to talk a little bit about these intention sessions, because I think they're amazing and that everyone listening should go find some people and start one of these for themselves. Here, here. Yeah. They're 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 called mastermind groups or yeah. Yes. So there's this woman, Lynn McTaggart, and she wrote a book called The Power of Eight. And if you go to this woman's website, which is like lynnmctaggart.com, see your show notes, um, Ah. you can actually... You want me to do show notes, but you won't get goth girl numbers to me? This is going to be a problem. That's not fair. All right, go ahead. I'm totally going to hack the show notes. I I love her though. So keep going. (laughs) <laughs> but no, she, she, uh, she, and you can actually find a lot of the, the, the basic idea of this on her website. So you don't even have to buy the book. The idea is she was doing these cool experiments with like eight people and these eight people would get together. They'd all like, they were in a room together, but we obviously do it over the internet, but you breathe together and then you, maybe you listen to some music 
And for 10 minutes, you keep an intention in your mind. So it's not like praying in the religious sense where there's someone you're praying to and maybe you all have to pray to the same person and that would be strange. Yeah. No, you're just intending for some result. And so um, uh, Gordon interviewed this woman on his podcast and then we thought it was amazing. We started to kick off a couple groups who do these things. And, um, I, and we've been, so like I, I've, I have been involved in the West Coast group, except recently I've fallen off a little bit, but now I'm like totally rededicating myself to it. But the idea is people will put up a list of, of intentions. So folks they know who are ill, who might need a healing or who are stuck, who might need some help with something or to find a job or whatever it is. And then we yep. do these intentions. So the interesting thing is that then we'll circle back and kind of see whether we get good results. And I know for our group, um, we've gotten very good results. And while I feel like th there's a lot of trust that gets built, so I don't think it's like appropriate to share anything about anyone's specific Yeah, no, I think we shouldn't go into too many specifics unless it's- No, but I was gonna say, I, my, my son was the very first recipient of an ah. intention uh, because he had had a, um, he was fooling around at a friend's house and cracked his, the back of his head on a, like they're, you know, jerking around in the, the garage, just being dumbasses. Yeah. And he cracked the back of his skull and got himself a very serious concussion. Oh, no. Yeah, like we ended up in the ER three times in three weeks kind of a thing. And there wasn't oh. any damage, but, you know, like hard skull damage, but like obviously, you know, the brain and all that. Cognitive, so he's, he's okay though, yeah. Yeah, he's just fine. And in fact, I credit part of the in intention results for that because he was – it was obviously a really rough time for him. You know, he's getting sure. way behind in school yeah. and he's not feeling right. And he, you know, I mean, when you have a, a brain injury, it's Yeah. You it's get dizzy, you can, you can get sick. Yeah. And stuff. yeah, exactly. And we, we did an intention and then about a week after, which is what we've kind of noticed is it took him a week, week and a half after the intention, like a, a, a switch flipped and he was just, he was fine and feeling much better. And yeah. he was like, Oh, I'm fine. And, and you know we've had we've had some stories like that yeah, where you know that. yeah 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 no, and, that, you know the idea the Pacific group yeah that was the the first Pacific group one all right because I was like I I feel like I might have seen that on the forum <laughs> but I didn't remember that I I definitely wasn't a part of that one and I would like I would have liked to have been but yeah okay so it definitely had an effect then. Yeah, it did have an effect. And we've seen some good evidence of other people having results. You know, the kind of thing where the doctor goes, I really thought this was X, but it looks more like Y. Well, that's yeah. a much better prognosis. And you're well, like. That's what uh, Gordon said about the, the, the exact thing with another, uh, another professional class type person, a weather person saying, and like this is in the same podcast. They said, we've never seen storms do this before. or This isn't doing what uh, it, fires usually do. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think the intention thing is very cool. And it's the kind of thing that, okay, so uh, you're in the East Coast group and your group is much bigger. Our groups tends to be smaller. And what I've discovered, though, is you can do a decent intention with six people. And you can do a great intention with 28, like seriously. That's if so crazy you, have, you said 28 because that's, wait, you were there last night. Yeah. Did, so did you see we had 28 people last night? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's why. Okay, so you didn't just choose that randomly. Okay. No, no, I was just thinking of last night. Yeah, like you can have a pretty big group of people. Yeah. But if, but I, I'm just sort of shouting out the idea of it because if you've got some buddies 
you know, maybe it's your D&D circle, maybe it's your coven, maybe it's just some folks who, like your old drinking buddies, who are willing to give this a little bit of a woo idea a try, and it's really low on the weirdness. All it is is some synchronized breathing and a little soothing music and holding an idea in your head for somebody that you care about who might be going through a tough time or having a medical problem. It's like you can work literal miracles. It's and I really want to socialize it. Yeah. Hmm? Well, it's concentrated prayer. And that's why people would meet together in churches and things like that to get uh, kind of like what some people would call an egregore, a thought form, some kind of like scalar wave of uh, concentrated, focused, standing energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I just want to put it out there because I think it's such an amazing, powerful idea, especially for those of us who aren't, you know, churchy people. Right. Yeah. Who, who can't leverage that in the same way that folks who go to church can, but you can, you could put together a group of friends and just go round Robin and intend for, you know, you or a loved one or, you know, in the group every, every week and you could do it online. Right. Like it totally works. Yeah. Through that's, Skype. That's one of the positive promises back. Like I know um, I wasn't exactly um, of mature age back when there was a lot of hope, like um, about the internet and when like a lot of people thought it would be like the next sixties and kind of like the Grant Morrison invisibles era, but like also like before you had like the William Gibson type stuff and the cyberpunk, like there was a lot of hope for the internet to be this grand liberator and, you know, while it's proven to be a Facebook spy tool, et cetera, for DARPA and et cetera, et cetera, it's also that is the light side of it that we can at least band together, get our intentions on the same page and be able to make some positive differences, even within the midst of that giant Leviathan. No, exactly. And I think that so I think that if. Um Okay, you know, here's the deal. I have Circle Thrice, and it's, it's obviously it's a kind of a fun side project for me because I love my, my regular job, and I, I love the work I do and the people I, I do it with. Um, but, you know, it's something that I want to slowly kind of build up, and maybe someday it'll be sort of like my retirement plan, right? But, uh, but truthfully, I like, I like helping people kind of meet their goals and get their shit together or I wouldn't do what I do. Right. Like it just, I happen yeah. to fall into something I'm well suited for. You're but like I also a practical just, cheerleader in a way with like a, a practical cheerleader with a plan, a cheerleader with a plan. That's interesting. Ivy's, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I keep thinking about like Ivy's home baked spreadsheets. Oh God. Yes. I'm, I'm the spreadsheet person. I know. But the other thing that's the other thing that I think is useful and important and that we have the sort of opportunity to talk about are things like these intentions or other good stuff where, you know, if each of us can make like our own little world a little bit better, our own lives, but also the lives of the people we care about in our own little yeah. community, that kind of localization, even if it takes advantage of the internet to be like non-localized localization, right? Eight friends yeah. around the world who are working together yeah. on goals that's, I think, where the power lies because it takes it out of the hands of the archons, right? Like this isn't, this isn't big anything. Yes. It's not big pharma and it's not big ag and it's not, you know, the big, you know, industrial spy combo. It's little. Monster Sandro. Yeah, exactly. We should be littleizing everything. We should be interested in, in, in little ag and little banking and 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 little little structures, which, you know. Which frankly, it's just adorable to me. So I mean, I love it. That's just adorable. 
And there's also a movie called Littlefoot coming out. I just want to, I don't know, like, I feel like giving a shout out to that. Uh, what, what, the, you know, it's about Bigfoot finding, like, humans. But anyway. Oh, I, yes, yes. You know, it's like a, a kid's film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, I, if I'm not wrong, um, so, like, I, I, I am, I'm like a, I feel like a, it's appropriate for me to be, like, uh, quoting myself as a, um, a, 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 a version of Villa of, Villa of Orman. Because I feel like I'm at the center of at least, if not it all, then a lot of things. I've got my Rune Suit family, my Giza, my Gizars, the Giza Death Stars, and I've got the X Fam. And one of my friends, uh, David, apparently that's his cousin's movie. Uh, someone from I hope that I'm, well, he put it on Twitter, so it is public. Um, he has a cousin, and apparently she or he is working on that film, like pretty high up in the film. So like it kind of just makes sense that like through six degrees of weird, um, occulty, you know, us witchy type separation that someone would be making a movie about Bigfoot or Littlefoot. But so the idea back to circle thrice back around is that we're talking about little ag, little pharma, grow your own, make food for people that you know and set intentions for people that you know. Right. And I think that, so I was, I was, um, I think that um, that's a way to kind of reclaim some power for ourselves. You don't get to, it's hard to do it individually. We're talking about like how everything gets thrown back on the individual. Uh, like, and, and I think, for example, recycling is a great example of this. If you don't personally recycle your cans, you're like destroying the planet. Excuse me, my personal five cans are nothing compared to industrial pollution, but thanks for throwing it all back on me, big world. I, just I appreciate wanna, that. I want to quote, I want like a little, um, I want to I clip that. Excuse me. I just want to, I want to clip that. It's like whenever someone talks shit to you about it, I'm just going to play them. I'm going to, hold on, play Ivy's quote, GTFO. Thank you. <laughs> but, but seriously, it's hard to do it all independently, but you can do it in small groups. Yeah. You can make your world and the world of your family, whatever that means to you. Your tribe, uh, find the others. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Better. And in fact, one of the things I've been meaning to write about, but I was having a hard time doing it because um, remember I was talking about sometimes it's discomforting to be in that pull yourself up by your bootstraps mode when, you know, people are struggling for no fault of their own, right? That's, that's right. a really delicate place to be. One of the, the biggest risks that you can have right now is um, any, any, um, any interaction with the federal government. Clearly, we just got out of like the longest shutdown in U.S. history. And if you're in America and you have any, if you have any reliance on the federal government, that's a huge risk for you. Now, that sounds like a really sort of asshole thing to say. Like, well, it's easy for you to say since you don't have, you know, need for veterans benefits. Or so. I get it. I'm not trying to say that that it should be that way. But these big structures are falling down, and the less you have to rely on them, probably the better. So you I know. agree with you. It's just so ironic. Let me let me parenthetically interject that like it's so maybe it's just like one of those like kind of like inversions where they're t you're saying that the structures are falling down all the while maybe they're trying to make up for it by building a wall. And of, of course, I've heard a lot of people talk about that the wall is not to keep other people out. It's to keep us in once shit does fall down. It's like, sorry, slaves, you guys are penned in. You know, some animals are more equal than others. Anyways, please keep going. 
No, no. I, I, I think you make a really valid point, and I think that um, I think that uh, I had read this. I had read this article a couple of years ago on complexity theory, and one of the things it talked about was that systems that are too complex are a unsustainable and b unfixable. They literally cannot be fixed because of the Most inherent of complexities. Yeah. So, um, so I have this. So I have that in mind when I think about, for example, the federal government. It's a massively complex thing. It's unsustainable, and it's potentially its complexity makes it unfixable. Now, certainly, there's not any will to fix it among the people who might be able to fix it. So that's a different problem. But even if you elected the right people, even if you got the right people who cared or who had the will to try to fix it, they might not be able to because right. of the sheer complexity. Yeah. I mean, you make me think of the quote, um, and I just, just uh, I'm, I'm being very um, evasive when I say this, but, um, and so I'm not necessarily wink, wink, agreeing, wink, wink, but it's like if voting worked, they wouldn't allow it. Wink, wink, cough, cough. <laughs> Wink, wink. I, I just have the strangest storm of winkity coughs coming over me for a second there. But yeah, no, um, you're right. I mean, even if you got like an Ocasio OKCupid or whatever into office, you know, she can quote a bunch of Marxist, you know, paradigms and parables and pablum. But like, you know, if socialism worked anyways, no, I'm not going to go there. Um, but they just didn't try the right kind of social. Okay. But if, if we actually had people that were going to do good, it's not like what you're saying. It's not like they even might be able to at this point. Maybe we once had a Republic, but now. Well, so political arguments are inherently boring and they're boring for a couple of reasons. So I would like to, in my world, I would like to have fewer of them because they're boring for a couple of reasons. First yeah. of all, because everyone thinks if their team would just win, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Let me tell you, there's not multiple teams. They're yeah, all no, in the background on the same team. Now, And of course the, team that Ivy is referring to is Team Human. That sounds kind of familiar. I wonder if Douglas Rushkoff listens to the show. If he doesn't, I hope he does start doing so. Of course, pitting humans against each other with these points of views, it can be seen as a grand charade. Though, I can recognize why it is complicated, but really, just to say, I've really been enjoying this episode so far. I'm going to get into some of the more personal stuff now with Ivy, and I just want to say, um, I want to thank her for being a part of my journey and adding to my moving forward overall, and you'll hear a bit about that coming up, but... um. This is usually the part of the show where those who have donated between $50 and $200 would get their names, location, and messages read as part of the value for value model. Without further ado, let us back to the show. Like, there's not two teams. It ultimately goes to, like, you know, like uh, Sage Francis, the hip hop artist, once, uh, once rhymed Republican Democrat. It's a one party system. Well,. And I think that 
I think that that's true. Um, it's true and unfair at the same time. It's true because <clears throat> behind the scenes, they all have the same interests and goals and they don't align with ours. Money. On the front end, though, I'm sorry? Money. Yes, exactly. But on the front end, though, I want to be careful, too, because um, the teams are the, the teams are the same behind the t scenes, but out front, um, certain teams want people, certain people who are friends of mine dead, and the other team doesn't. And so this isn't an abstract political idea for some people. This is a matter of life and death. And of who can receive unbiased medical care and who gets shot in the streets and who gets which justice system. And so there are really inequities that, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I just don't want to dismiss those concerns. The trouble is, is that even if you think that the people you picked are the good guys, um, you know, you, 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 you made your call and said, I think this person really does care and I'm going to back this person. The trouble is regardless it might not be fixable. I mean, by anybody. So, yeah. and that sounds depressing, but at the same time, it's not, it's not depressing. It's just what is. So like, so you have to approach it from a different angle, such as little feet. Right. You just kind of got to focus kind of small time and sort of make, build your smaller communities because the bigger ones are going through these upheavals yeah. and we hope that they, we hope that when they go through an upheaval, something better will come out of it. And we have a duty to work toward that, which is what I'm saying yeah. about how, you know, um, while your career politician, whatever team they ostensibly are playing for, they have their own bank balance in mind and, and not your well being, unfortunately. It's just interesting you know? how too, that our current president uh, is now sworn in as a, member of the red dodgeball team when his entire life he was a member of the blue dodgeball team up until he went to run you know what i mean yeah that's that's true and there's plenty of people who they believe in nothing and they'll play for whichever team pays them the most they're the free agents of the political world i think he believes in like um you know how um gordon had mitch horowitz on and mm -hmm. um, talks a lot about the power of positive thinking I, I think that Trump just, you know, because he comes out of that Norman Vincent Peale kind of spiritual. Like you mentioned earlier how we go through, like there was a lot of like different cycles of spiritual revolution. And like that made me think of the burned over district in New York and Trump's from New York. And then there's that whole power of positive thinking. I think that's mm -hmm. where the guy's coming out of. And it's maybe it's just whatever makes me rich. But to him, from his individual prism, that's positive. You know, it's kind of hedonistic in a way. Right. And I, I'm not saying you're wrong about it. And certainly, uh, I guess my, my point is just that um, political discussions might be um, moot on a national level because, and, but not at all unuseful, again, on a small level, a local yeah, level. Politics is local, as a Massachusetts uh, politician once said. Yeah. And it's very true because. Um, the person who you elect as your sheriff, your judge, yeah. and your council man or woman is going to have a lot bigger impact on your life. Catherine Austin than, Fitz type stuff there. Yeah. Know your baker, yeah. know your banker, know your farmer. Yeah. It, I think that's huge. And because I, I, because I think that, that not caring about politics is a bit of a privilege. 
right? It's easy. Yeah. It's easy for people who aren't targets of some people, like literally targets. Or if you're not um, like on government money or something like that too. Yeah. So it's easy for me to say, oh, you shouldn't rely on the government because they're going down in flames. Well, that's not any help <laughs> to someone who needs that help, right? That's, 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 that's not, what, what does that do? It's, it's not just needs to, I, it's a, it's a, it's a both. And it's also like also people who have, like maybe when they were younger got into the system when they really were at the age where they got targeted by like the student loan type things and they didn't really know better. It's very easy to get caught into the system. There's all that talk about, you know, trying to propagate the welfare system amongst certain, you know, split up families and then get them on the welfare system because then like there's some kind of like virus of the welfare system. It just makes you complacent to your point. It's not just like people who are reliant on it. It's people who have gotten used to it too. And that's a very hard thing to break out of. Well, and I think that, I think that again, um, uh, you, you don't get to, you don't really get to just, to, to judge for other people like what their scenario or their situation is. And when you do that, it, that's a very dangerous and slippery slope and you end up cherry picking and it's not good. So every time I hear a politician and they're usually a conservative one gripe about welfare fraud, I'm like, you know, people cheat on the stock market and I ain't heard nobody suggest we, we abolish the stock market, yeah, even though abolishing the stock right? market, I'm sorry. Get rid of Swiss bank accounts, right? You don't hear them right. say that. So, yeah. So, I mean, and in fact, abolishing the stock market might work out better. I don't know. But the point is that, you know, you end up, when you end up judging, you end up cherry picking. The truth, though, is that um, if you're an individual and you can sense that your life is at risk or that you can't make things work out the way you want or that you're stuck, then you only personally only have two options. And one option is to try to grab shit and drive it with whatever tools you can leverage. And the other is to just sort of like not think about it. Or but you can smash the teacup. Smashing the teacup. So you've mentioned that a couple times. So yeah, I, I, well, that was in that, art, that office space article you wrote. And I, I mean, like, I don't think I've read an article that is about this type of topic that I've enjoyed that much in a long time. I've shared it with a few people already. Like I really like it. And it actually suits me where I'm at. Like uh, without going into like too much of my own stuff, like I keep using certain examples and I am certainly not projecting onto any, I'm speaking about myself here in allegories and symbolism. But uh, I, I, I would like for like this part of the interview, maybe we can go in to seeing um, some practical enchantment itself. Like, do you have a do you have your tarot card deck around you? Yeah, yeah. Let me just I'm grabbing um since I've been running this little chat off my phone because my internet's yep, wonky. You now plug I'm it in. I'm gonna plug it in. Yes, it's it's getting cranky. So but yeah, yeah, I can pull out my deck and we could talk a little practical stuff. So let me talk while I plug this in. Go ahead. Let me talk a little about about this whole smashing the teacup thing. Yes, I love this. Please do. Also, okay. um, I have six questions that are obligatory for the six of swords. And I, you and I both have really good Mercuries. I think that's part of it, even though um Mercury's combust right now. I think that you and I have enough like flame to flame through it. But um yeah. Eventually, there's going to be some fun, fun, fun questions later, but smash that tea cup, tea, tea cup for us. Okay. 
So back to the world of uh, Nisim Taleb, right? Who is this author who wrote this? Um, anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. And in this book, he talks about um, that it's not just things that are fragile and things that are robust. It's things that are anti-fragile. So here's the example. Something that's robust is like a big, strong building. Something that's fragile is like a little delicate teacup. And I think that's, that's uh, self-evident, right? That's, that doesn't take a lot of stretch to think that. But the problem is, is that obviously if the teacup has, experiences any shocks, right, it's going to break. But so too can the big building, right? The, like the, the more strong and sturdy and stable this thing is, the more that like the really big shock could take it down. Well, in between, there's this idea of anti-fragile, which means that you don't break when you're under pressure. You actually get stronger. So muscles are anti-fragile. This is an example he uses, so full credit where credit is due. When you work out, you tear them a little bit, but it makes them stronger. If you break a bone, it grows back stronger. Human systems are this way. The environment is this way. When you some, some sort of shock or damage or unbalance comes in, the rest of it tends to roar back stronger, and that's a sort of kind of naturally how it works. So the idea is that the more anti-fragile you can make your life, the more you can weather the shocks because you don't just have to stand firm against them. You can benefit from them. So, for example, if you have um, if you have some, let's say you have something set aside that you wanted to invest. Right. Um, let's say you have a thousand dollars to invest. He says, don't invest it all in a safe, secure place and don't invest it all in risky speculation. Divide it up so that part of it always goes to the safe thing, but then some of it could have a huge upside, right? So most people pick this middle of the road thing that's neither very risky nor very secure. It's like a nice, you know, index fund. But he says that that's a bad idea. Put some aside and then take a little bit and just do something crazy with it. Invest in a video, a DVD that's getting a movie that's going straight to DVD in Hong Kong, which I seriously know somebody who did, right? Cool. You might get nothing. At worst, you get a good story out of it. Right, and you might get nothing, but you might make, uh, you know, you might make your money back a, a thousandfold. But so, so that's a financial example, but the point is that that can be applied to anything. So part of the deal is, if you have something in your life that's really fragile, that teacup, which is the example he uses, there's this tendency to want to baby it don't want to just nourish it and nurture it and baby it and work really hard on keeping it safe when maybe a better alternative is to smash the heck out of it. And I had this idea and it's actually this magical working. So you said, let's get practical. Here's how the magical working goes. Let's say your job is fragile. You, you can't afford to quit it. You don't have anything else lined up. It's sucking the life out of you. Not only that, but it requires all your time and energy. You have to babysit your demanding boss who's annoying. The, the, the people you work with are troublesome. The work itself is unfulfilling. And you're just putting all your effort into making this horrible, fragile thing not break. Because if it breaks, you can't pay your bills. Right? I'm thinking of a racer head for some reason. But okay, please continue. <laughs> Which is a very weird connection. But the... Um, that, that little baby thing that they take so much care of that... I think they ended up smashing or something. I don't know. Please continue. So the way that the working kind of goes is you create a list of all the magic you're going to do around this fragile thing, not to protect it. Cause remember the end goal is to bust this thing up. So let's say it's your job 
you make a list of all the magic you're going to do to find a new job, draw new opportunities for you to you get the cash you need to get through this time period, maybe between jobs. You're going to do, you're going to outline everything you're going to do yeah. and you're going to pull some cards. And the thing, the question you ask is if I do these things and smash my job, what happens? Yeah. And yeah. Maybe you get the tower and you decide, hey, I'll suffer in silence a little while longer, but maybe you don't. You can kind of see what's going to happen. Again, the goal is to try to well, figure out that, like, what's coming at you then. If well, you do I mean, those The tower things. card's kind of ambivalent. Just to speaking briefly, quickly, tarot, I mean, the tower could be a good thing for that. Well, it could be because it's about smashing, right? It's about so, initiation and stuff too, yeah. So the key thing is you're going to say, what happens if I, if I do this? And you pull these cards. Like maybe it's the tower and it's bad and then it gets better and then it's really awesome, right? Like yeah, you yeah, can yeah. kind of see the progression. So then you do the magic and part of the deal is you've, in, you've announced your intention to do all this stuff. So you have to do it step by step. Every piece of magic you said you're going to do. Yeah. And then you walk into your office, you walk into your boss's office and you say, I'm out. That's it. I'm done. You take the fragile thing you, you smash it and you change the and you change the printer codes <laughs> you did read my article but but no you the key thing is that um you're not trying to baby it you're not trying to go to hr and negotiate a plan you're saying i'm done with this maybe it's a really bad relationship not one that's going through a rough patch that can make you stronger but one that's just like dragging you way 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 down instead of constantly babying it you decide to do a bunch of magic, maybe around um, a sympathetic lawyer who you can afford, maybe around a custody issue, all of the important stuff that you want to try to handle. And then you change the locks or you pack your bag and leave, depending on where you're at with this. So the point is that like sometimes when stuff is really, really fragile in your life, you're better off smashing it and moving on than trying to nurture it forever. And there's this kind of magical working around it. Interestingly, the tarot bit is optional. If it's bad enough, you might not care what's going to happen. You might just be like, I got to make this change. I'm going to smash this thing. You know? And, and then in the end, um, you know, hopefully it turns out better, but at least it won't be this horrible, fragile glob in your world that's sucking your life away i had a it's, job that was yeah. like this did you so yeah so to speak personally a little bit like because it because you know i could make this shit up and you wouldn't know but i actually had a, skin, a job skin that, in the game yeah yeah so skin in the game i actually had a job that was like this some years back it was just it was a teacup and it was really awful as you might imagine it was sucking the life out of me and it was harming my health and it was doing all the things that a really nasty job can do migraines and, right you mentioned yeah that. yeah and it was um yeah that's my thing right the, is the migraines so and it was really it was really bad and in the end um i had been doing work and that's like magical mundane stuff but both to try to sort the situation out, right? Like to try to build sort of some, some framework to like leave this nightmare of a thing without some huge disruption to kind of like our family. And in the end, um, I, it, there was this, you know, my, uh, my boss at the time had given me this kind of performance review thing. And, you know, it wasn't great because of course it's this nightmare place to work yeah. and, you know, and said, you're going to need to sign this. And I, and I took it. You know, do you agree and you sign? It's a typical corporate thing. And I took it yeah. to HR and I said, I don't agree. 
and I'm not signing. I want a month of severance for every year I've been here or I'm going to sue you. That's awesome. I quit. And it turned out great after a little bit. I mean, it, it, it was obviously a rough time to go through. It was unpleasant, but so was being in this horrible nightmare job forever. Have you seen the movie American Ultra by any chance? I haven't. All right. There's, there's this is one guy who has to make a very brave decision. And there's this uh, little vignette of him like going back and forth after he makes a decision of he's like exalted and elated. And then he's freaking out and crying, exalted, elated, freaking out and crying. But it sounds like after you went in there and made that badass decision, shows the highs and lows and a brief little montage of making a very powerful life-changing choice where you free yourself from underneath the authoritarian uh, clutches or um, gauntlet that has been wielded above you for so long. So that's the reason I asked. It's nothing to do well, with and Well, no, no, but I mean, it's valid. It was a rough time and obviously very troublesome, but let's be clear here. It's not as brave as it sounds because it's not like that was a sustainable situation eventually they would have fired me and I would have been in a lot less strong position. And I think that's the key you have to remember. This fragile thing is eventually going to break. When yeah. you smash it, you're just breaking it under your rules. You're making the decision. You can't which fire even me, if it, I quit kind of thing. Yeah. And even if it doesn't turn out well, the result is that you've owned it, which yeah. is a much more powerful place to be. Because you talk about there's a, or you could just do nothing. And shit's still going to go fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's still going to get messed up because it's this fragile, fragile thing. So, so, yeah, that's one of the kind of the pieces of magic I've talked about. And it's kind of an advanced thing. It's not like an easy, it's not like an easy thing to do, right? And maybe you decide, here's the other thing. You can get through this with a perspective change, too. It could be that smashing your job is not a good idea. And that you need a year to put yourself in a better position, you and your family in a better position. Right. In which case, what you really need is a perspective change. Stop being your job. Because. Nice. Yeah. Because if you let it drag you down mentally, it's bad enough that it sucks in general. Yeah. It's like they say you are not your job. You are not your uh, gender. You are not your mental illness. That, you know, it's kind of a similar idea. Well, and if you, uh, if you have to make something work that's unpleasant, the best way to do that is to try to have some distance. This is, again, the stoicism thing, to try to have a little distance. And this, for me personally, is extremely hard. So when I, sometimes um, I always want to have like, the hypocrisy alert because when you give advice, when you're in the business of giving advice to people, you always want to watch out. Hubris is my deadly sin, right? I don't want to ever make like I... This is all super easy for me. In fact, not, not investing myself emotionally in anything is really challenging. So to, I hear you. To my, so to put myself in a situation to say, I really can't invest in this thing. I need to like not, that's very hard. So I'm well, sympathetic to how advice. hard it can be yeah, I think to a not lot care. Of comes from people who know it. Like that's the reason they can give that advice because they've lived through it. Well, and I suppose it makes me a terrible marketer because I'm, um, <laughs> well, <clears throat> I think it's more powerful and interesting to say, here are the things I too work hard at or struggle with. And here too are the things that have gone wrong that I tried to get through. And that that's better than this whole look at my perfect life syndrome, which you get a lot on the internet, particularly with like career and personal development people. 
you know, that with their, with their big eyes and their shiny white teeth and they're, they're going, Hey, yeah, I, you know, if you come, you give me all your money, I will, you know, I, I, I get that I have a little business here, but I think the, the important thing is that this is hard for everybody. Yeah, everybody has a hard time getting perspective on their own stuff. Yeah. Everybody has like challenges and like you said, shadows to kind of push through. And I wouldn't want to take advice from somebody who had never had anything go wrong. Yeah. No, Barbie dolls don't give great advice. Um, if, if you get what I'm saying. Well, and I once, I once someone once, I was trying to remember who, who wrote this. I don't know if it was Armstrong or what, but who had written that, um, when, when Trump was running for office, the Democrats said he's not a good businessman. He declared bankruptcy three times. Okay. But according to what I read, they were like, they didn't realize that in some weird way, this made Trump's position stronger. Yeah, he knew it failed. Because he had failed, right, and pulled himself back up. Now, that might entirely be mythos and a lie, and that's looking increasingly likely, but that's not even the point. Yeah, he might and- be owned by a lot of different banks. <laughs> Exactly. So, but the point—the point isn't that um, <laughs> the point isn't anything about that guy. Uh, the point is just that when you um, when you can say, "Hey, it, this sucks, but it's still possible," I think that's a really nice. I think that's a really nice thing. When I so like I'm I'm yeah. doing this research into habits. This is my new thing, right? Yes, I'm all I, about. I noticed that. Yeah. It's uh, can like I, can I give us a quick Alice in Wonderland quote um, before we continue? Um, Alice says, um, I often give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. So. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, fitting. it's true. It's the human condition, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I, I have a Zen calendar quote uh, that I'll add to the show notes that uh, completely mirrors what you're about to say, but please uh, continue then. So yes, I've been I've been doing this habit thing, and the yeah. reason is I've always I've been fascinated by kind of habit formation for a few years. Obviously, yeah, um, you know I've been sort of digging into it. But one of the interesting things about it is that when pe- if you ask a magician, what spell can I do to get my ass in the chair and write this novel, <laughs> then the the magician's like, there's no magic. Just put your ass in the chair and write the novel. So I was kind of curious if because I had that same attitude, and I'm kind of curious if it's true if there isn't certain times and types of magic that lend themselves to forming and keeping habits, right? Good habits. And Mm -hmm. so I've been, I'm digging into it. I'm just doing the research, but here's the thing. If I was perfect at creating habits, then I wouldn't do the research and none of that would be any of any use to anyone else. Right. The, The truth is that breaking a bad habit or starting a good habit is as hard for me as it is for a lot of people. You know, and um, the things I'm good at, like communication or organizing, those kinds of talents that I might have that I, you know, I try to leverage has nothing to do with whether I can, you know, um, just make it a routine to like fold my socks or whatever it is that I, (laughs) I want to do. Right. Sure. That's like a, that's like a different challenge. And it's something that, uh, that's a level 99 skill set, folding socks. You got to be a, (laughs) You have to be the, the animist Marie Kondo to, to fold socks well, I think. Boom. But, but in the meantime, I'm trying to figure out what kind of magic might be useful for it and kind of experimenting on myself and trying stuff out. Yeah. Because 
breaking a habit easy. So like the biggest, the worst habit, biggest and worst habit I ever broke is I quit smoking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now I feel you. I've been, I, I don't know why, but recently I've been like, I've been wanting to start again. Not like I used Stop to. Stop it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks mom. But honestly, it's, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what I, I don't smoke. I don't. But um, I don't know why I've been like wanting to so badly. It could be other things going on that I'm not going to get into. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Go ahead. Um, just I understand. Well, my my research into habits would suggest that maybe some of the things that triggered your smoking habit last time you had one are now repeat reoccurring. So whatever the triggers are for your habit, those triggers are happening again in some way or similar. Which yeah, is triggering kind of like space weather in a way or something. Yeah. It, it's similar. It's similar. So this book that you had uh, that I have, The Power of Habit. Duhigg. Yeah. Yeah, did the Duhigg book. Uh, one of the one of the examples he gives is, and I'm this is like a direct example, <clears throat> excuse me, from the book, is this surgeon who had smoked every time he went to the movies, he would he would get cigarettes in the lobby and smoke. I don't know how old this guy was, right? Like he could have cigarettes in the theater, but whatever. And then he quit and he hadn't smoked in decades, like since he was a young man. But he also was a very busy man and had no time to go to movies. And then one day he went to the movies and was like, oh my God, I got to get a cigarette. Yeah. Because it was the location that was triggering the bad habit. And yeah. so if you can identify the trigger, then you can short circuit the habit is one of the ideas from this book, which I think is interesting. No, it makes perfect sense. And I was, so I've been kind of digging around with that and thinking about it a little bit. The way that I quit smoking, because I smoked, um, you know, when I was younger, as we, and I haven't smoked for decades now, right? So I quit when I was. Wait a minute. How could, how could, you, you're like, you look like you're 27. How could that be possible? You are my favorite person. I will give all the goth girls phone numbers to you. Well, all right, folks, you heard it here first. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm far from 27. 27 was probably about the time I quit smoking. No, I was a little younger than that. And that's been a long time ago. I started when I was 17. Uh, and uh, hypothetically, for all the future um, New World Order type uh, health insurance things that will certainly be taking this into account, you bastards. But um, basically, yeah, no, I had an alt I went to an alternative high school and they allowed us to smoke on campus between classes. <clears throat> Mine. Yeah, my my middle school, right? Yeah. Like kind of eight, nine, ten grade had a smoking section. Jesus. And I mean hypothetically for me, for all you health insurance ass butts. But yeah, right, no, exactly. Ass butts. But yeah, speaking of butts, but uh, yeah, no, I mean like, oh man, yeah, it's it's driving me crazy right now. I don't know why. It, there's I can't I'm trying to think of like what trigger it might be, and I wasn't doing a podcast back then. I don't know. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> So, so this, this Duhigg book is useful, but if you haven't cracked it open yet, and I saw the spine of that book, it was nice and fresh. I showed um, you that spine. You did. I wasn't, I'm not spying on you, but, um, Use the insurance people folks run. Skip to the end where there's a section on personal habit change. Just go to this back section where he talks about actually changing habits because he digs a little bit into this whole trigger reward thing. Okay. And his premise is that there's this triggering activity yeah. and a feeling, a smell, a location. It could be anything, right? 
And that kicks off your habit loop. And you don't think while you're doing it. That's how habits work, is you create a habit so you don't have to consciously think about it. Yeah. And then at the end, you get some kind of reward. Yeah. So if you're suddenly craving this thing from a long time ago, either you're re-triggering, right? I see that in your hand, by the way. The pen? Is that a... Is that a vape pen? Oh, no. This is actually a pen pen. Oh, you were just... Oh, that's a... Th- so you just been... I thought you were like... I was like, damn, that's like the least vape I've ever seen come out of a pen. Oh, my goodness. I know. I'm, I swear to God. No, no. I, I think better with a pen in my hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I do, actually. I, I think and I speak better if I have a pen in my hand. Oh, I, I, enough, I, so. I constantly have a... You'll see pencils like... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very similar, actually. So, but yes, we... Um, where was I? Oh, yeah. So we have... Um, I thought it was a vape pen. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Oh, good heavens. No. So like when I say I don't smoke, I mean it for, for reals, right? I'm not like, kidding, folks. No. No smoking, no vaping, no tobacco. <laughs> um, no, but um, the, the thing about it is, is that either something is re-triggering the craving, but maybe it's a thought, a feeling, an emotional thing rather than a physical thing. Or... Yeah. You're craving the result. So maybe you have a, whatever you got out of smoking, which is usually a feeling of satisfaction or yeah. calm or whatever, maybe that's a little bit lacking for you. And so you're, you're going, huh, how can I calm the fuck down? I'm going through stress or whatever it is that your thing is, right? I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a good topic to kind of like turn into because, um, I mean, I think that it's funny that you and I were like, how are we ever going to talk this long? I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> we actually need to throw some Saturn at this. Um, I want to, I want to turn left There's, before we get to those, uh, six questions. I want to kind of like use this as a, as a, as a chance where our two, um, astral bodies or our two lunations have kind of like, um, you know, came into the same orbit. Maybe we can actually use this very interview to really kind of like help move me forward in my life. Like rune supers helping rune supers. Like I'm, I'm going to do this hand in hand in hand <laughs> for people who cannot see what I just did and drop the mic. Yes. So, um, okay. Um, you got those tarot cards that are ready. Yep, let me grab them quick. I'm sure. with you. Okay. So I want I want to I want to kind of lay down my situation. Uh, you, we're talking about skin in the game here. So mm-hmm. I'll take the next ten minutes or so to kind of like do a brief diagnostic, like uh, the mechanic waving the wand when you're not looking, but to hear this. So mm-hmm. my my as you've heard me hint at, and this is deeply. This is this is a brave move for me to come out and start talking about this because this is out there. People actually, I've seen my numbers. People actually listen to the show. Holy crap! Thank you for listening, <laughs> oh, guys. Um, yeah, well, you know how it feels. It's like, wow, people, you love me. You really, and then you, Mandela, you really love me. Yeah, yeah, but they apparently that got Mandela affected too. Anyways, yeah, okay, Lego Lego movie. So here's what I'm. So my situation, like we talked about shamans and people who have that kind of like psych sensitivity and disposition. Um, one, w- one of my themes in life, I have had certain run-ins. Like I'm still afraid to talk about this stuff. Like it's my ego is getting in my way a little bit. But I've definitely been thrown into those atmospheres, if you will. And I have been living 
in a certain financial state for a good long while now where I am well enough taken care of that I basically have a lot of time during the day. And like I compared myself to a lot of potential energy and doing good for the world, I want to be able to step into my independence. I want to be able to be earning and living my own way forward. If you're getting, are you picking up what I'm putting down, Ivy? I am. Good. I am. And I think the listeners are too. And I, I want to say that I'm not going to hate on like what you said. Don't give people shit for the situation that they're in. There's a big world out there. It's a big arconic system. At the same time, I really do want to be independent and make my way moving forward. So if you get what I'm saying, I want to get off the financial situation. Let other people get that. And I want to be independent and make my way forward. And I, I am at an utter loss. It is so nebulous to me as to how to go about this. There. Okay. Take, take that Neptunian BS. See what you can no. do. Let's run with this. Okay, so here's what I would tell you if you were a client of mine. Only if you were a client of mine, for goodness sakes, you'd have client privilege and we wouldn't announce it to the world. But here's well, what I, I would that's say. The, that's the kind of give and take here. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We're going to do two things. We're going to start at the top and we're going to start at the bottom. And I think from the conversation we've had thus far that starting at a top level might actually work better for you, kind of a strategic thing, thinking across different modalities, because I think that's how your mind works from the conversation we've had. But we're also going to start at the bottom. So always top and bottom, because the bottom is what gets you moving today, because if you don't get moving today, then it'll be a year from now and you still haven't done anything. But the stuff from the top is about trying to get your, your brain around how to, to meet your goal. So you have this goal, your goal is to live independently. Now, you need to uh, quantify that in your own mind a little bit more, and that may take a little research. Like, what does it mean for that you to live that way? What do you think you need to live that way? Okay, so only you can answer those questions, and they're not really public sorts of things. Now, <clears throat> we're going to start at the top. The top is mission, vision, values. This is the very top level. This is the shit that the corporate masters do on like their martini golf things once a year and then come back and tell all us plebes what the mission, vision, and values are. This is the right? Bohemian Grove retreat stuff, right? That's right. And again, we're just going to rip that shit right off and subversively take the good things about it for our own needs. That's right. Okay. Because companies do that for a reason, and the reason is it helps them direct the energies of a big, massive thing in the right direction all year long. That's not easy to do. But your own life can be as chaotic feeling, so we're going to do the same thing. You may not know what your mission is, so put that aside for a moment. You're, you're going to get there. Um, my mission is uh, organizing enchantment at home and in the world. It's my mission statement, short, pithy, right? Like if I had a corporate website, it would be on there. You don't have to know yeah. that yet. It well, makes you do have to something as above, so below, just to throw that idea out there, that directing of all those energies. It's like That's right. That's exactly what we're doing. And one of the key skills of a project manager is the ability to take that corporate vision and turn it into actionable day and day thing, day to day things that you can do right now that are little, that are little things. So the thing so I'm gonna ask happens. you to think Yeah. Right. Exactly. The thing I'm gonna ask you to do is think about what you value, what your values are. And you don't have to announce them to whoever's listening because sometimes values can be, uh, we're not, you're not a candidate for Miss Universe. I want to help the needy. And no, seriously, this is what you personally value. Yeah. If you value 
money and a comfortable lifestyle, I am not here to judge you. If you value um, freedom or security, because it's a judgment-free thing, right? Like uh, right. you might value competence. That's one of my values. I value people who are competent and I value being competent. Um, uh, I, I know someone who values security and stability above all else. And I think some of those things are just wired into your horoscope, into your background. Again, you're a grown-up. You probably already have values, good or bad, so you might as well embrace them. Figure out what they are. I think that's really honest, and the more honest people can be, the more they're going to get out of life what they want, right? Right. And one of my goals when I work with people, which I do one-on-one, is to be honest so that they can get something really meaningful, a takeaway that's meaningful. So it's meaningful for you when they get their shit done. Right. So then you have then you have this list of values that are the things that you care. It should not be 20 long. It needs to be a handful of things. Think of like corporate value statements, right? Is it integrity or honesty? Is it comfort? Is it beauty? Freedom? Any of these could be your values. You're not making them up. You're trying to um, you're trying to figure out identify them identify them assume that they're already set in you you're not 12 right okay once you know them keep those in mind you want to do an exercise of creating a vision for the life you want at some point in the future with how far in the future depends on who you are and where you're at young people tend to have shorter timelines as do very much older people Middle-aged folks like me will tend to have a longer timeline because we have more kind of families and structured things that, but you want to pick a timeline. Is it a year, three years, five years? Go by instinct, see what feels good. And if we were working together for real, we would talk about it in depth and I'd learn more about you, but I want to like respect the fact that this does take a lot of bravery and I don't want to, I don't want to pry in front of people. I'm willing to answer like one or two parts about that if it helps you just kind of more give an example of this. I can answer. Yes. Like, I'll be brave, skin in the game. And you're okay. helping me out here, so I appreciate that. So so go for it. Do you want to uh, tell what, me what, what? Yeah. What do you value? Uh, okay. Um, just because my mind's like doing the thing. The first thing that came to mind was kindness. Um, that's, mm. I don't know if that helps, but that, that's literally like what came to mind. Um, I'm very sensitive, obviously. Um, I, I value, um, I think, geez, that's hard. Like now I'm like overthinking it. Mm. It, It's worthwhile to meditate on, which is why I wouldn't force anyone to just sort of make a list on the fly, but let's take kindness for a second. Yeah, it's definitely kindness. That's 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 the first thing that came to mind. Yep. Now the next part of this, where you think of a vision for yourself. This is not necessarily positive thinking. Positive thinking is when you pretend you're already on a beach with like, you know, bikini clad goth girls waving you with fans and feeding you grapes or whatever it is that your thing is. Again, I'm not here to judge. But, uh, People can't see it, but I'm, I'm, I'm silently cracking up. That's good. <laughs> but um, that's not what we're after here. We're not doing positive thinking. We're just kind of creating a vision in the future is kind of for the life we want. We're not pretending we're already there because the, the risk with that is your brain goes, Ooh, that was nice. And then you don't do anything. That's like what they say about don't tell people what you're working on kind of thing. Right. Cause then exactly. your thinks, yeah. Right. So I have several exercises. I've been, I've run people through some guided meditations and stuff to help them create the vision, but think of a life a year, three, five, whatever in the future 
that embodies kindness. One where you, and so I would guess that maybe you value independence or you, that's something you want. So let's, let's start there. Kindness and independence. And a loving relationship, I think, is part of that. Because, like, I don't know, Libra, Venus, something. Okay. Kindness, independence, a goth girl who loves you. You brought it up, all right? I never said one Look, word. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling, and, but no, don't, don't think. Sometimes people misread my face. No, it's good. Keep going with it. Okay. She's got to be redhead, though. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> so, so let's. So um, and she's really smart too. I value intelligence in a woman. Oh, there you go. Well, no, do you do you, you value intelligence in general? Yeah, yo, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, um, right? Mercury in seventh house, something about that. I I need intelligence. I find that also the most sexy too. I think it's in my chart. So here, right? So here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna think about a little bit of the vision of the life you want. You want to think about a life where. You can use your mind, i.e. use your intelligence, maybe where you can keep learning. That's an, an embodiment of intelligence. And, you know, yes, you, where you connect to other intelligent people. So you have like-minded people who you can be around. And whether one of those becomes a special someone, it's not relevant. That's like a specific goal. We're looking here at just the vision of your life that you want. The next piece of that would be kindness. You want a life where you can be kind to others, right? You don't want to go and get a career. You don't want to get a career that forces you to be, to be oh, unfair. No, I, would, or cruel to I would, I would, I would, first of all, I would never put myself in that situation, but like right. I, I, I used to like skip going to class because like I was way too set. I would go to the nurse's station when I was like 12. I didn't make it out of like full disclosure. I didn't make it out of high school. I had to, <laughs> the, the, the Archon structure was way too brutal on me. Like that's, I used to fake sick like every day, basically. Right. So, so you want a life. Well, so this is actually really powerful stuff. Like it sounds like project planning. It's also a little bit of digging deep into yourself, right? This is not Time to do that. Can I, can yeah. I please, can I just, um, I'm, I'm being full disclosure. Now I had a dream the other day where I was talking. This is people tune into the show because it's real people. Um, I'm serious. I had a dream. I was talking to a little girl. She was probably about nine to 11 years old, nine to 12. And um, it was ostensibly my daughter. It was this little blonde girl. And I was like, honey, you know, you're going through some changes right now. And you're, I was trying to explain to her in a very kind, in a very sensitive, aware and um, informed manner that would give her the best chance at understanding what she was about to go to and see where I'm going with this. And then we'll circle back around. I was telling her, honey, you're about to go through puberty I know you've gone through a lot of changes in life and you've seen how you've grown up, but now you're about to enter a time where those changes are going to be more intense and they're going to have more of a profound effect on you. And then the dream continued on and I'm not going to go into the rest of it. Uh, I went off different, th but I think I was talking to my soul. I think that little I think you were as well. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say is that you're talking to a part of yourself. That's my anima. That's my, that's my soul. And I'm about, yeah. that's why I keep talking about the seed about to kind of do the thing. That's where I'm at right now. So that's why I'm bringing that up. That's, that's why I brought that up. Then that's a very powerful dream and not at all boring. Thank you for not telling me every de single detail of it endlessly. No, no, I'm kidding. But, but seriously, that's a very powerful dream because you're, 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 um, you're connecting with a part of yourself and you're 
explaining to the sensitive child part of you inside you that you're going to have to go through changes and it's going to be challenging, right? Like it's not going to be easy. So that's a really good awareness to have because it is going to be challenging because as you envision the life you want, and it's probably going to be very foggy right now. Like you don't know what you want to be, right? You don't want to know what you, how you want to go. Conjuncts my midheaven with Mars and Uranus in Sag. No clue. So it's going to be foggy, but the thing you want to do is start to picture and you're going to keep refining this picture in an agile, iterative way over time, over the next years, right? This is not going to happen in, in a week, maybe, Jupiter's right? in Sagittarius right now, and that's my 10th house, by the way. So that's why it's coming out through this public career house. And well, and that's a really powerful, that's a really powerful sort of thing for you to maybe embrace that energy as tough as it is um, with your own Jupiter, but like embrace it and move forward with you, kind of these big goals. And by the way, Ivy does know Jupiter people. She got the blue tapestry. You can read about it. She, she, this, she knows which, please continue. <laughs> yes, I, I put up a Jupiter altar when he went into Sagittarius. But talking about you now, um, your goal is to identify kind of, a, to start to create this vision for the life you want that embodies being kind. So you're kind and people are kind to you. Maybe you're kind to the planet, maybe however it manifests for you, uh, yeah, where I you can be my smart. One. Sorry, I keep, uh, I, okay, you go. I'm going to be quiet now. That's okay. I talk a lot. So if you need to shut me up, go right ahead. But, but no, no, you, you're working on crafting this vision. It's a, it's a, it's a, a journeying exercise, right? Like it's a, it's a meditation. You're, you're, you're starting to picture what you want and you want to be independent right? You want to, you want to decide, you want to be uh, empowering yourself. You want to be able to, uh, you know, bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan and all of that goodness, right? Like yeah, you want I'm, this, this apartment is I'm what I'm paying for it substantially way less than what it market values for. I don't, I want to be independent. Like, like I'm putting that out there because I want to be independent. I, that's not easy for me to talk about. <clears throat> But yeah. So now you have this very probably foggy vision. Well, you don't yet, but you should go forth. This would be your homework. And yes, I, I give lots of homework. Go do your homework and then you have this vision. And then what do you do with it? Well, there's three kinds of goals. There's, I know what I want and I know how to get there. If you want to, if you want to go get a degree in psychology, then that's a very defined goal with a very defined path to get there. Not like there's not options, but like that's a pretty well-known space. That's a journey where you've got a map and you know the destination. The next journey is you don't know how to get there, but you kind of know where you want to go. So like I need to get to the mountains. I'm just going to have to orienteer myself up there. I have, no, I have no map. I have no path. The third one, though, is you don't know where you want to go and you don't know how you want to get there. And I'm thinking that's you right? It's all the fog and you just don't know. There's no roads where you're going, right? It's I, I would tend to think that um, uh, before you keep, uh, before you continue, I'm just going to give this really great quote that's been on my mind lately. They say, um, action, wait, wait, vision without action is a daydream. Action without vision is a nightmare. Exactly. But that's yeah, why I'm asking. Yeah, that's why I'm asking you to craft an initial vision 
Yeah. And now we have to figure out some actions to take. Because I think you're right. I'm probably like the second one makes me think of the eight of cups card with the guy kind of like walking towards the mountains. I'm specifically thinking of the Morgan Greer tarot for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yeah, no, but, um, and that's the card. You know how, um, you know how the pip cards can be ascribed to decans, right? Oh yeah. So the way for people listening, um, you, you drop the aces because they're complete. Yep. You drop the aces because they're complete archetypes. And so for your cardinal, you got two, three, four for the decans. For your fixed, you got obviously five, six, seven. And for your um, final, your mutables, you got eight, nine, ten. And, and now here's what you do. You find your rising sign. You find the deckhand that your rising sign's in. And that's the tarot card that kind of rules your life. Well, I have the eight of cups for my rising sign being a seven degree Pisces rising. That's the first decan of Pisces. That makes it the eight of the mutable which is eight of cups so or eight of the mutable water. So that I just wanted to add that because it comes to mind, but I probably am the third where I don't exactly know where I'm going besides those very Neptunian vague concepts. And I don't know how to get there. Yep. So what you have is a kind of a project that's an experiment. So it's not, you know, it, it's, you're like, I have to experiment to figure out how to get where you need to go. Absolutely. But, Uranus in the 10th house as well. But the thing you can't do is over plan it. You have to be in doing mode, right? So you, cause it's really easy to spend the next year thinking about options that might be interesting. And then soon yeah. you will blink and a year will have gone by. Oh and I was God. actually just, hmm? that happens. That definitely. I, yeah. Like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Time keeps on, keeps on slipping into the future. Okay. Yeah. It, indeed it does. And so what I would work with you on if we were working together um, is we would, like I said, I'm, I, I really do want to respect, respect your privacy a little bit, but we talk a little bit more about some things that you would like to try in the next month to sort of orient yourself so that at least you know a direction to go. And that would be, do you need, do you really need to learn some more things and how would you get that knowledge? Is there something that you want to put your hands on and do immediately that might lead you in a direction, right? Because, because independence, the kind of life that you're going to build for yourself is going to require some uh, personal income. That's typically the way it rolls. Uh, Unless you win the lottery, in which case I'm not a goth chick, but don't forget my number. But Wait, say it again. I said, in, unless you win the lottery, in which case, you know, don't don't forget my number. You're not but, a goth chick, but don't forget, Ivy. Uh, remember my my guiding light of kindness. Uh, I, <laughs> I I am a Libra to the core, and I do believe in the the scales just as much as I believe in the necessity of the sword to back up the scales. So, mm-hmm. you know, yep. no better no better friend, no better foe, that kind of thing. So, so you've got to figure that out and try, think of some things to try and then create some intermediate goals for them. So like in the next month or in the next quarter, whatever makes sense. And if you're starting from the point where you want to build a career, but you don't have the education you need, right? To maybe to, to have some careers, you need to think about what you want to build for yourself. Are you entrepreneurial? And you want to build a business, which puts that in your control. 
is there something specific you want to pursue some dream you have of becoming something for a living and what does that mean all of those are kind of things to sort of start digging through and then in the nearest term what can you do if not today because it's kind of late in the day for you but like this week next tomorrow you know what i mean what can you do to put yourself to put your foot on that path and you know obviously if i can't advise you right like i don't know you well enough yet but that would be the kind of the kind of process the other thing i would i i would do for you is give you a grounding and agile magic so that you can have a rhythm for saying at the beginning of the month i'm going to kick this thing off that would be the fourth by the way and then after a month i'm going to do a, a retrospective and look back and then look forward and all of that kind of kind of good work this is uh so, this, this makes sense ostensibly it's the kind of thing that i like when you hear it it's like okay this all and i mean this like just base level like earthy i mean like that seems like common sense you know but at the mm -hmm. same time if common sense, you know, common sense ain't common, they say, but obviously I am where I am because I'm not doing what you're saying. Right. Well, I mean, unless you are, in which case we'll work on what the block or the problem is. But I'm guessing that I'm guessing that translating that high level stuff down into regular daily action is tough for you. It really is. The the Pisces, I mean, like, without wanting to over-rely -re on, like, the obvious archetypes, I really do have a lot of that Neptune, like, you know, Neptunian energy, um, Pisces energy. I, I, I very much just am very in the element of, you know, going with the flow, and, like, it's just so easy for a day to just, you know? So there's there's some really positives to that, mind you, which is that you can find the tides and flow with them as opposed to swimming against them, which is hard for a lot of people, but won't be hard for you. But there is sort of a, a feel for having also, if we're going to keep with the water metaphor of building yourself a boat and getting yourself a paddle so that you can also move yourself along. A rudder, especially. A yeah. Rudder. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So... The, so the the way to the way to sort of get a grip on this is as you begin to formulate this vision you try to understand the gap between the two like a canyon where you are now versus the vision of your life you would like to have in however many years like three years let's say uh, yeah that's, I was thinking actually that's funny because I was thinking three earlier as well there you go that would that would make sense to me and you you're looking at the Grand Canyon it's foggy. You probably can't see the entire gap, right? Like you can't see the far end of this. You don't know how far you have to go. But what you can do is like look down at your own feet and see what's next. And that's what I would have you focus on is creating regular positive habits that get you in the right direction. Yeah. So, so let's say that you want to be independent and that means that you're, you're, you know, you've got bills to pay and you're paying them. Do you know how you would pay the bills? Do you have any idea what that would be? That freaks me out so much. Honestly, like now you can tell I'm just like coming straight. Uh, this is coming correctly, right? This is very direct. I, because of the very low financial threshold expectation of me at this time, that is that that's another reason people get caught in this trap. But I'm just talking about me here. It's a lot to think about having like suddenly all of that, like magnified, you know? Oh, but wait, 
I'm going to caution you that that's not what we're doing here. If you make it really big, if you try to see the whole canyon, if you try to like go too far in the future, you're going to trip yourself up because it gets too big and too scary. You want to work on right now. Yeah. Like what can you do right now that'll move you in the right direction? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. It's just that sometimes uh, it's very easy for, for that to happen. I'm sure you know. People people it, like, but what about this? Yeah. Well, everybody everybody has sort of a certain um, – Triggers? People, well, yeah, true. But what I was going to say is uh, so everybody has certain a certain perspective on this stuff. Like some people are much better – at the high level, uh, con- strategic conceptual stuff. Yeah. The dreaming big, but they can't make day to day stuff. Other people I work with are constantly busy. They're working 18 hours a day, yep. but they have no idea where they're going and what their big goals are. Neither is better or worse. Right. But you're going to be massively tempted to keep dreaming, and you can't. You have to pull that down like yes keep the goal in mind keep the vision you want in mind but pull it directly down to the day-to-day yep what one thing when we hang up the call see i'm going to be really like hardcore on you i apologize but we're going to hang up this call probably not too much longer because we've been on the phone a long time yeah we do have to we do have to get those six questions before we go oh yeah yeah, it's going to be a half hour and probably at least okay so here's here's what we're going to do we're going to wrap this up because yep. this isn't like if we had a whole hour, we could get a lot more in depth. And of course, it would be private. And I know this is can be hard. But if if you're you're going to do one thing when we hang up the call, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna help you to become more independent and to very start. And it has to be it has to be tiny because you're going to do it today. Like it has to be itty bitty, and that's okay. It's not um it's not bad to do small things. It's actually much more powerful to do small things over and over and over. Yeah, as long what as they move towards a goal, right. One yeah, so what is it you're going to do? Done. Sorry, what? So what is it you're going to do? Um, well, there was this, um, see, this is the whole thing. All right, one of the ideas I had, um, if, I, if I'm on time, I'd be taking a train into Boston tonight to go to this um, networking event for this uh, Patients of Medical Cannabis. But also, if I don't do that, um, then I should be working on that holy gift book that I've been perpetually working on that actually um, our Rune Supers did a um, prayer intention uh, group for me to write that book. So that's why it was funny when you said uh, prayer intention thing, writing a book, because they actually have done that for me for writing this book about the tool album that I'm working on. That is so hard because I am very Neptunian, but I have the grand goal in sight. So what time's the train? Um, so it's four twenty-five here right now. And the train I would have to take is at five. So that means you have to go now. Not technically. The train's literally like two. It's right across the street. I live in front of the train. You know what? I get the feeling that getting out and networking with people would be good for you. Yeah. So here's so, what I want to do. Okay. You could, you could tell how I approach stuff and it's kind of hyper practical. I like here's it. Here's what we're going to do. I'm okay. going to tell you the cards I pulled for you. Okay. And then you're going to ask me six questions really quick. This is and then a, you're going to go catch your train. She's, uh, she's speaking my language, folks, because that's exactly what I want to do. So let's do that. Okay. Here's the cards I pulled for you. Uh, Ten of Pentacles. It's a material card, but it's all about the end of a journey and being ready for something new. Okay. In your material world, right? Yep. 
uh, the Ace of Wands, which is about a gift. Huh. And it could be, interestingly, it could be a project or some information. You might be getting that now. And then uh, the Five of Swords reversed. Five of Swords is end of a battle. Yeah. And reversed, it says that, you know, maybe you don't have to fight, that there's other ways to move forward with this. So, interesting. Five of Swords is usually like the most terrifying card, but it's reversed. Well, you know, in my deck, it talks about um, not assuming that you always have to compete and fight. So maybe that's telling you that, that your way forward can be more collaborative and that working with other people might be the way to go, which is why I was thinking you should go grab your train. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I was, I was like, it's, it's, it's ironic that it's not a six of swords, but we don't, we don't necessarily need that every single freaking time. <laughs> Sorry. It's quite okay. Okay. So six questions, let's go. And then you've got a train yeah. to grab. The king has returned. Excellent. Lion King, Lion king on my head lately. Um, you can see my, uh, for folks who can't see us, I might put a picture in. Got cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Stupider day, so you got the blue and the cannabis. I got red, white, and blue cannabis socks, people, for the cannabis event coming up. All right. So, and I really like that because um, there's some strong energy I've been told, and I've gotten several um, chart readings, uh, Austin Kopic, uh, several chart readings, Eric Pride, uh, speaking of Pride Rock and Lion King. But, um, yeah, a lot of people have said that um, I have a really strong um, placement for collaborative uh, work so that that kind of shows with the uh, reverse five of swords kind of like we're doing right now this is part of the collaborative work mm -hmm. so now turning it back on you again um, okay. so here we go um give me as honest as you can with these I'm, these are just cool questions what does feeling you're most empowered feel like to you it feels like being competent because that's important to me and helping someone else get yeah, their was, get their goal done. I was feeling like when you just went into your mode there, like it felt like you were just in your it like it's like Jupiter and Sag. You were in your your you were in your kingdom doing your thing. I love it. All right. So to keep this going, um, what's the most nostalgic scent you can imagine? Oh, I actually don't have much of a sense of smell. Okay. So it's the smell of my uh, kid when he was a baby, They're, his little head. Yeah. You can't see. I, I just did the, the cocked the head to the side. I know. Like, me too. We're all like, oh, that's sweet. Move it, on. It, it really is sweet. Um, she's like, you have a train, boy. All right. Favorite 60s music. What is your favorite? Oh, um... Well, that's such a hard one. I'm just going to pick a uh, drug-addled Beatles. That's the perfect answer. And the next one, what's your preferred climate for a magical village? Let's say we oh. yeah, like let's say we actually make our rune suit village. What's your preferred climate for where it would happen? Portland, Oregon. Lucky for me, that's exactly one of the best places astrologically I could live. Well, the weather's great here, so that's the oh. one thing I love about it is the weather. There you go. Uh, okay. Um, so, best life hack. Oh, I find life hacks annoying because they assume that you just want to be more productive so you can do more, do more, do more. The best life hack is the one that leaves room in your life for the important stuff, like 
being with friends and family and getting enough sleep. So what would that hack be, do you think? Probably one where you um, say no to stuff. Give fewer fucks, say no to things. Make time for what's important. So ba- the, the basic life hack is to say no. Yeah. Only and say yes to the stuff that's important. I feel like I've heard that somewhere. but like, Oh, probably everywhere. Well, it bears repeating. Um, so then I guess uh, the last one would be favorite dance style. One that I don't have to do in public. Fair. So ideally, if you were going to do this, like dancing, what, uh, what style of dancing do you like the best? I actually, I actually really like uh, tango. I knew that would be your answer, by the way. Oh, you did? When I was Very writing good. the question, well, you know how Pisces are good at the psychic stuff? When I was writing, ah. I just had tango like impressed in my sensory Pisces thingity-doodly-doo stuff thingity-doo. So that was, it's, it's not like I knew you were going to say that, but hey. <laughs> but you did. Well, yeah, right? Uh, so anyways, Ivy, this has been a really freaking great conversation. That's all. It was. It was awesome. <laughs> but there's one negative, which is that now you have homework. So That's despite the fact that we don't worry work together, really, I want you to get back to me and tell me more about your values and what your vision looks like and what you're going to be doing. And then I will uh, we'll see what, it, what comes out. I, I'd love to, you know, it's, it's always good to help people. It really, uh, well, we know that from, uh, from we know that. Um, we know that like three times over, but, uh, yeah, this, this conversation kind of began with, uh, began with the homework and it, uh, ends as it began and as everything is, it's eternal. So, um, Ivy, thank you so much for coming on the six of swords. This has been a great episode and, uh, fifth episode, reverse fifth of swords. Something's going on. That's positive. So. Yeah. And, uh, thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time and, uh, don't miss your train. Yeah, I won't. Um, <laughs> So, uh, all right, Ivy, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, bye. 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 All right, the podcast is over now. And uh, we can just kind of like do a finish up talk. Yeah, um, no, I'll, I'll be fine. We have like about two, it's only 4.33. Um, okay. And I literally, like, if you look out my window, like that's the train station. So I can dash over there with like a four minute dash and be okay. Well, no worries. And I, uh, I need to wrap it up anyway because this has been a long chat. Oh, yeah, I need it's been lunch. Long convo. Yeah, it's been about three, and, three hours and 33 minutes or something. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, so what we can do is um, I'll follow up with you, but um, you know, and maybe, um, maybe we can email a little later because I'm not kidding about my Neptune. Like, this is why I'm 34 years old and still in the situation, I think. But like, um, Maybe we could just uh, clarify what I'm supposed to do by a talkity talk later on after we've had some time to decompress. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, yeah, I, I get I get where you're coming from, and I can tell, you know, when when you talk that you're you've got some plans and stuff you want to do, but it's making it happen that's hard, and you know, so and oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and there's stuff there I can I can help with. I really hope so, because like. Like if I'm doing well and independent and have money, then I can give it to other people. A cup overrunneth kind of thing. I had a social, exactly. I had a social worker here yesterday because I still have to see 
social workers and stuff like that and like therapists it's so i was hospitalized like a lot and they put me on a lot of pills like a lot and i lost my virginity in a mental hospital so there's all this like anchoring to that kind of stuff like that's on a higher level than i can express like there's Mm -hmm. so i'm living in a mental health voucher apartment that's why Mm -hmm. without going into saying that directly that's I'm getting social security, not regular social security, disability. Uh, I mean, not regular, but disability kind, SSDI. Mm-hmm. And there's just, and I've, I'm like a month and a half sober. So like, there's all this stuff going on. And like, yesterday the guy comes over and he's like, and I'm playing guitar for him. And he's just like, people are calling, people like throwing my ego away. People call me a genius. And like, it feels like every time I say it, I get all freaked out. But people think that I'm like a genius and that I'm a ton of potential that's just trapped and that I'm not expressing it and that I'm not using it. And he's like, how can you be so smart and so talented? Like, when are you going to use that? And that's, I'm just giving you the story without words anymore, but that's where I'm at. I'm a lot. There's a lot and it makes me fucking want to cry sometimes because it's just really overwhelming. And it's just like, I don't, you know, you know, it's, yeah, I, I'm, that's, that is a lot. And I'm, how hard must that be to do with? I'm super sympathetic to those challenges. I can tell you though, that for smart people, it's not easier to be in the world at a certain point. It's harder. Yep. 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 Okay. It's much harder. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so other people saying you have so much potential, blah, 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 doesn't actually help. Uh, that, that's not actually helpful advice. You should have potential, you should use it isn't helpful. What you need is helpful advice, which is like, if you're going to write a book, right, then are you writing every day? Not about the book, but uh, yeah, I mean, I write four pages of miscellany. Like, I noticed that you had the morning pages thing in one of your articles. I'm like, yep, I do that. But are you working on your book every day? Not really. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so a novel, and I know you're not necessarily writing a novel. A novel's like 360 pages. That's a year. If you wrote a page a day at the end of the year, you'd have a novel. It might suck, but you'd have one. But if you don't write a page a day, then at the end of the year, you'll have nothing. And you won't have started. And so if you have a book in you of whatever kind, right, then write every day on the book, right? Focus on the thing that you want, the goal. And if in a couple months you look at the book and you realize it's not what you want, or you really want to like get a, get, just get a job at something. I'm, I'm not one of those people who's like, everyone must follow their artistic passion. Dude, sometimes you just need a job and make some bank and like relax. That's cool too, because it's agile. Committing to write a page a day now doesn't mean you're committing to doing it forever. You're just trying it on. And that's what I would say to that. If you have a goal, then you sit down and you just do it every day. You make room for it and you just do it. And that's that whole habit thing, right? Like that's, that's how you make the goal manifest. Now, does the book make you rich? Maybe not. That's different. That's a different challenge, and that involves different magic. But just to kind of sit down and focus yourself on this one thing for a little while every day, 
that's a really powerful act for you. And that's a powerful act of independence because you're saying you're deciding what you spend your time on. Right. There's different kinds of independence. There's independence of um, financial, but there's also independence of mind and of spirit. And that might be more what you need too. like, it's not just about money. It's about being independent of mind, knowing your own mind and that you can count on your own mind, being independent of spirit, being sovereign over your life. And that's actually a much bigger challenge than just going back to high school and getting a job. Yeah, if I earn like over $1,100, I forget the amount, then like the whole freaking month check goes away and like my living situation, it's... Right now, I can't even go into it. I would love to express it. It's no, just no. the time constraint is coming down on me. And there's just so, there's a few moving parts that really psych me out. Well, it, it, it's okay. And I know it's scary. Plus, there is a sort of a, uh, they, they suck you in and then it's hard to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, um, but what you can do is, um, without jeopardizing it, is maybe go and learn some stuff that you're passionate about. Because you value intelligence, right? Yeah, I do. And you don't make any money going to school. Right. Sort of maybe the opposite, right? But like, and, yeah. and that might, that would be something that you could leverage to put yourself in a better position without jeopardizing where you are at right now. Yeah, I was thinking about like getting a real estate license or something like that, but I don't I don't know. Well, you want to do something that that you that sparks you too. Yeah. I I think that's important. Oh yeah, no, no I I I wouldn't settle for less. Yeah. I want you to go have fun at your thing, okay? Yeah, I got to I got to go decompress and then run out the yeah. door in a few minutes. Um so Maybe we can continue this convers. Oh, hello. <laughs> Maybe we can continue this conversation later uh, via email or however uh, works for you. And uh, yeah, chat it up. And you know, you were very brave. I appreciate that. That was really brave. I can't see your face, by the way. I can. I oh, can... you get to see the ceiling. Sorry, yeah, but that was, was that was that was really brave. And so, I mean, you know, I really I really respected that. So it was really good talking to you. I think the whole conversation was fun. I think we just have a good rapport. Rapport? We do. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. Uh, there's, 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 there's intense things. There's fun things. It was a really good conversation. It was great. And I'll, I'll talk to you again sometime. Okay. Uh, Ivy, have a great day. You too. Happy birthday to your son. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was really great. I want to thank Ivy for being so forward and giving and nurturing, I think is a word I want to use. She is a damn fine professional. And I encourage you to head over to Circle Thrice. That is C-I-R-C-L-E-T-H-R-I-C-E dot com. CircleThrice.com. And see what Ivy has to offer. I can tell you that she has already helped me in my journey. And I think you're going to find that she'll be able to help you do the same. So go check it out and give her a shout too. Um, she's very approachable and very kind. And she's damn good at what she does. So 
that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed what you had to hear, and come on back next time where we have a very special guest coming up for our sixth Six of Swords episode. Until next time, keep doing what you're doing, and just know that it's going to be a really rewarding life if you give it your all and remember that you are a spiritual being having a human experience. I think that point cannot be stressed enough. Until next time, this is Nathan Lee Miller Foster, a.k.a. a cult fan, for Six of Swords. Thank you.